0: Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network.
1: And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we make the Podcast of Champions talking all things Pac-12 football. This is our sixth and final edition of Spring Football Previews, David, even though There's no spring to preview. We're still doing kind of these off season reports. We'll finish it up with the two most Northwest schools, Washington and Washington state talk to uh, guys covering those teams up in the next coming segments. So I'm looking forward to this, David. We'll we'll wrap up our spring previews, even though there's really no spring football, which has me depressed.
0: And these aren't really previews either. Like it's wrong on multiple levels. Um, It's like a spring discussion, but really, Aren't we spending about, I don't know, 90% of the time just talking about the upcoming season? So, what are these?
1: Yeah. Oh, these are it. a way to
0: kill time. That's what we're talking about here.
1: <laughs> well, you were, when we first started talking about this, you were like, why are we even doing these? It's like, well, what else are we going to do? Like, we planned on doing these spring previews but for me it's more of an off-season report and it does give me a chance to i keep a google work, doc on work, every team work
0: through your psychological issues with i have those to spring practice
1: i have those but it's really to set these documents up because i use them throughout the year so when we talk about washington state i can go back and look and see like oh who are the Impact yeah, you newcomers. can see
0: the the uh, irrelevant factoids from spring that don't matter ever, even in a normal season.
1: It's not just spring factoids. It's like, who were the major players that were lost? Who are the impact potential impact newcomers? Who Who's won the, the spring battle? game? I, I really didn't put that in there, but I would put notes about the spring game. Now we don't have that. We don't have any of that stuff. So ha- great on you, David. You get what you want. Everything's doom and gloom. So we don't get spring. It's- I'm going to go cry in the corner with no spring football. It's just terrible. It's wonderful.
0: It's great. It's great. We get to talk at length about actual things um, because we don't have the distraction of the fake football going on in the the background. It's great. It's wonderful.
1: Well, we do. We do have a it's going to be a really good show. So we'll get some great info from Washington and Washington State. Two programs that have uh, new coaches and two programs that didn't have any spring practices. Uh, So we'll talk about that. We got some news up at the top of the show. We'll answer questions. At the end of the show, I know David got into a, an email argument uh, with something he said last week, so we'll see if he wants to <laughs> fill you in on that. If you have any questions for us, and I know we did a show last Tuesday, so it's only today's Monday, it's only been six days, but we got a bunch of questions in, so that's good. People are sending them in. You can do that with the email address, pack 12 podcast at gmail.com, or if you'd rather call or text us, hey, you can do that too, 424-532-0678 is... The number, you can go on the Twitters at Pac 12 Podcast. The website is pack12podcast.com. And you can subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or any of those podcasting platforms. Five stars, awesome. We love those. Some funny uh, review, we love those too. And go to Reddit, reddit.com slash r slash podcast of champions. And we just, you know, we want all you guys out there to be safe. Uh, Stay home, listen to the podcast of champions, whatever you got to do. We want college football to happen. I do love that how uh, Southern states, Dave, are do are using that. Hey, do you want college football? Stay the hell at home. So I think that's going to trans yeah going to work it, down there.
0: Yeah, if only the like governors of those states were on board and you know actually dictating that people should stay home instead of reopening their beaches. That's what my beautiful state of Georgia just did. They reopened their beaches. I didn't even
1: know Georgia has beaches. Where are, where are the beaches of the Georgia?
0: Well, you're talking Savannah. You're talking oh, okay. you know South Georgia, that whole area. But yeah, no, we'll we'll see what happens here. Um, we get we did get a five star review, a, a really like almost like uncomfortably genuine review, but it did come on April first, so
2: oh. maybe
0: it was a little bit April fool'sy. Anyway, listen, McListener. Joking aside, I appreciate this podcast. Hi guys. I know this podcast typically is usually self-deprecating and tries to stay on the lighter side, but I just want you guys to know, at least in my case, it was much needed during a strange time. Without going into details, I was one of too many people where the craziness of life in this p- pandemic impacted me personally in scary ways I haven't had to deal with before. Yes, your podcast wasn't going to keep me healthy or put food on the table, but at least for a couple of hours, I could try to somewhat get my mind off of things and chuckle a little. I hope it could do the same. Uh, for other listeners who may have needed the same thanks for this keep up the good work be safe and hang in there everyone I like so, that that's great that's I mean, very nice i think it it would be even better if it was an april fools but it's very nice <laughs> even if it's genuine
1: now i know you don't like like people in general but and you're not really out there people. trying to try to help people i i think it's it's some one of those things where we could stop doing these in the off season because there's really nothing to talk about But there are people that, you know, like the show. And if it's something that we can do to help people get through their day because it's boring, they're, you know, they're trying to teach their kids things and, and, you know, watch Netflix or whatever they're doing. It's just, you know, they're trying to do a thousand things and it's just not, their, 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 their routine has been so disrupted. If we can keep a little part of that routine going, I think it's a great thing, even though it's not going to be as informative, not that we're normally informative, but it's something. And I don't know. I I like doing it for that reason. I don't know, that's probably not you, Dave, but it's it, one of the reasons we should be doing this.
0: Uh sure. Yeah, that's part of it. Um <laughs> I, I honestly I don't know why we're still doing this. I think it's a simple inertia at this point. But yeah, I mean if we're going to if we're going to retroactively assign a reason to why we're doing this, then yeah, sure that works.
1: Why not? It I know, it's tough. Everyone's going through it in different ways. And hopefully uh we'll get over this and we're gonna be able to have you know, fall sports and football and all that stuff, but and most importantly,
0: basketball because this is a basketball podcast.
1: <laughs> well, now, now that UCLA is good, yeah, is that bad that UCLA finally gets good at something and then? Uh, that, it may the, have actually the,
0: caused. It may have actually caused the apocalypse. I, yeah. I don't, don't, don't discount <laughs> it. I, I have thought that saw it. Yes.
1: Hey, well, USC is typically not good at basketball, too. They get they get hot there, too, and they get a bye and, and it's all canceled. Totally so I don't not know.
0: allowed, not allowed for UCLA and USC to both be good at basketball at the same time. Um, and, you know, some things intervened.
1: Yeah. It's weird stuff. Well, we're hopeful that, the, you know, this is going to get better. And I try to be more of an optimistic person. I'm hopeful that people do the right things. They stay home and they wash their hands and all those things. And we kind of kick this virus's butt and we can move on um, and do this. But I wanted to talk some of the newsy stuff. Um, so Rick George, uh, the athletic director from Colorado, did a full interview with our guy uh, Adam Munster-Tiger over at BuffStampede.com. And John Wilner picked up parts of it and talked about it. And it was really interesting if you want to go check it out. I think it was from last Wednesday. But, you know, talking about spring football practice. And, you know, they're all, he's on all these different committees and stuff. And they're looking at things. They're looking at things to try to... Mitigate what's been going on. You know, try to make up that there's some you know competitive balances that might be out of whack a little bit. Like, an Arizona State had seven spring practices, Oregon State had five, and the three schools that don't that have new head coaches, Colorado, Washington, Washington State, they haven't had any. And. He said, it's not necessarily about the practices as much. It's just really trying to build that culture. So a lot of those schools that if you switched your coaches, you might be really behind the eight ball when this comes through. And how do you balance that out? And he didn't have any answers in the interview, but it's definitely one of the questions that they're kind of, of, of looking at because it's, you do have to try to balance this out somehow. But at the end of the day, if you have to go into the season with all you get is like three weeks to prepare and you start the season right away then that's what teams are going to have to do. If you're Colorado and you got Carl Durell as your head coach, that might be a lot tougher. You know, if you're Washington and you have Jimmy Lake as your head coach, but you pretty much kept the same culture, that might be a little bit easier. Or if you're, you know, Nick Saban in Alabama, you've been doing the same system for years, that might be easier too. So I don't know where you come down on that. He, they know the question, Dave, but I don't think they have the, the answers quite yet. Yeah, I
0: think the only, the only thing is – um however much lead time they're going to have, if they even have a season, um, they're going to need to build in extra practices to the teams that are at a disadvantage. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I, obviously it's going to be safety first with a lot of this stuff, and they're not going to... I mean, right now, I don't... I don't. I think it's it might be all be academic at this point, um, because even, like, I think the most optimistic model right now is saying, you know, this might be like tamped down to a level where we can start doing contact tracing like South Korea by like July. So in that scenario, yeah, maybe you can start practice for those schools that didn't get any practices. Maybe they can start mid to late July. um, Whereas the schools who had some practices and just do it on a graduated basis based off how many practices they had. But even that's kind of funky because like a UCLA had like, I think they ended up with like two or three practices. Um, But you know, you have a practice plan for your 15 days. Those first couple of days are, you know, are, are they your most useful days? So should they count as, you know, practices for the fall? I, I don't know. The whole thing gets a little wonky. I think for like ASU that had seven, I mean, they had half a spring. They shouldn't get, you know, the same advantage everyone else did. did but I don't know, man. It, it gets it gets a little too, how much value is there? This It, it actually goes to my long-held point how much value is there to a practice in the spring? Yeah. And is it the same value as a practice in August? I kind of think, no,
1: I think you're right. I mean, I, um, you know, I talked to different former players about it and they said, you know, it's important, but it really is. It's more about kind of establishing that culture and not having the spring where you kind of feel out what you have and you get some new players on campus and that, you know, that some of the early enrollees and you get a feeling for that, but then the players go out and work out in the summer and, they're doing things without the coaches, and it, I think it's just a lot of data that you've kind of built up, and it's just part of the, the college football system. And by the time you get to fall camp, I think you're in a much better position. I, the problem will be if you don't get any spring and you don't get any kind of precursor to fall camp. It's not even about well, you get eight practices and you get fifteen or fourteen or whatever, and add those on to your fall camp. I, I think just the time away, you're going to be not playing football for a long period of time, and. There's usually these football activities that are be going on. Argue how much spring practice is important or not. Argue how much those seven on seven things you do, you know, with the quarterback throwing to wide receivers in the summer or not. But it does keep you in touch with what's going on, and you still have that personal contact with the strength and conditioning coaches doing those, you know, workouts on the on the turf or in the weight room. And and you will have coaches coming out there going through walkthroughs and things. So all those things are gone. It's not necessarily like, well, did we get better because we only had three spring practices versus 15? But really, it's just how many months did you go without doing anything football related? You know, maybe you could throw with your dad in the backyard or, uh, you know, do some body weight stuff, you know, do pushups and sit ups or whatever. But it's a lot of players are just not going to be able to do what they would normally be able to do. And the training tables and all of that not having the kind of meals available, like maybe you're eating McDonald's all the time, or maybe your mom's a gourmet chef and you're eating, like, fancy, f- like, who knows? It's, it's going to be different for everyone, and you kind got bring all those players together and, and try to make it work, which, it's whatever, we, if something does happen, it's going to be an accelerated timeline, so I think flexibility is the key. Like, everyone's got to be flexible, and every program, every player coming in is going to probably have a different story of what they did during all that off time.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. It's going to be great, though, if they actually do have a season, because then it'll be like a return to... You know, like 1970s NFL where, like, half the dudes smoked. They're just kind of out of shape. Just barely, like, a light jog by the fourth quarter because they're just dog-tired. It's going to be awesome.
1: I think it'll be – it will be interesting for sure. But, yeah, that might be – They should wear the like
0: old – like, they should wear the huge pads just to give us the feel of it too. Like, yeah. those huge flappy pads.
1: Did you watch the uh... – wrestlemania or anything i didn't i saw no. like a clip but it just seemed weird watched, without i haven't things.
0: watched i haven't watched professional wrestling since i was 11 years old
1: but now they they just came back that they did something over the weekend and it just there was like this hollow feeling without fans and i think i could see the nba doing it like golf is gonna do it like they'll they'll be sports i think nascar's doing are there it. their
0: golf are, are there fans
1: at golf there are fans at golf, yes. Actually,
0: I, I'm totally joking on the square because golf is actually one of the best events to go to because you can just drink and walk around on on
1: grass. It's great. It's, dude, if you've ever gone to the Waste Management Open in uh, Scottsdale, it's ridiculous. There's like 250,000 people that go to that thing. It's crazy. Well, even, the
0: one, even the one in the, whatever they do up in, I think it's like the Palisades. Um,
1: yeah, the Genesis Open now. Yeah, I, I, that I,
0: one's I, great too.
1: Yeah, that's fun. I go up there usually every year, but I went to the waste management once and that was, it's like a huge party. Uh, yeah. but so with college football, it's different. And one of the things that came out of that article was it didn't feel like if less campuses were open for business in the classroom, so you could actually go to campus for, to take class. They said there wasn't going to be football games. So in that kind of scenario, you could potentially have NFL going on, but college football, no. And, because it's so regionalized, like SEC might be like, yeah, we're going to have college football anyway. And the PAC 12 is going to be like, no, our campuses aren't going to be open yet. I'm curious to see how that works because there's no, you know, there's as far as structure goes in college football, there's no like czar, there's no leader of college football that makes a decision. It's like all these different conferences. So I'm curious how that's going to play out.
0: Yeah. I mean, the PAC 12 is almost certainly going to err on the side of caution there. Um, uh, The SEC may not, but, it's one thing for professional leagues to decide that they're just going to play because whatever, I mean, it's like a a business deciding it's going to be open. Um, But when you're dealing with students, um, there's going to be guidelines from the state. There's going to be guidelines from all of these different agencies and whatnot that are going to dictate, you know, whether you can have students on campus and if you can't have students on campus, then how can you have students playing a sport, um, a team sport, where they're going to have to be on campus to practice. Um, And that's just like logistically. But if the meaning behind that rule is to keep students safe, then how can you justify keeping these students safe over here who can't come to their classes, but these students over here because they play a sport that brings in millions of dollars to the university? Oh, their, their safety isn't as important. Um, So yeah, there's, there's absolutely no way they can allow that if they're still keeping the campuses closed. So this all has to hinge on, Basically, it has to hinge on more or less eradicating the virus and or um, getting it down to such a low level that you can do contact tracing the way South Korea is doing so that you don't have to do the full lockdown. Um, And that's going to be a bit of a moonshot over the next, whatever, three, four months. It's going to require everyone kind of buckling down um, and maintaining this weird social distancing thing for like four months. Yeah. This is the part where, like, it's getting me a little bit and like I'm I'm not even trying to be pessimistic about it. But the amount of people who even with like a thousand people dying a day right now who are still like, this is no big deal and we should reopen the economy. What are they going to start to sound like when it's June and there's 20 people dying a day? Are they going to want to reopen it again then? Yeah, you betcha. And are they going to have success getting it open? And if they do, are we going to see another upsurge in infections right when we'd be starting college football season? That's the kind of stuff where it's just you've got to have like this collective willpower thing for an extended period of time that we've we're already bucking against it right now. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's going to be a really I mean, it's already been a very, very wild month and it's going to be a very, very um, weird.
1: uh Three to four months coming up. Yeah, it's definitely going to be weird. Um, our buddy John Wilner also got uh, talked to uh, Larry Scott. He tweeted this out earlier today. Um, so basically, what's happening is, and he wrote, he put, you know, make sure you check out his story. Um, you know, he puts it out on the hotline and everything. Uh, but, you know, follow John Wilner. He does great stuff. Talk to Larry Scott about this. So Larry Scott's taking a 20% salary reduction. Um, members of, yeah, it should be 50% at least. Uh, members of his senior staff are taking 10% cuts. The NCAA did something similar, if you remember. So I think it's kind of along the lines with that. Um, those are in place for the remainder of the school year. Then they'll revisit them over the summer. So it's not really that long, but, uh, it should be probably for the rest of the year or for the rest of his contract. Um, PAC 12 network is going to cut 8% of its workforce. Uh, so they're dealing with some, some cuts and stuff there. So there's cost cutting measures in place, um, you know, because of all these shutdowns and everything. And, and Wilner got to talk to, to Larry Scott about it. There's also kind of talk about, you know, there's a, an excess as far as you know, there, the Pac-12 does have uh, like a, a revenue reserve, but he said that the Pac-12 expects total revenue from the 2020 fiscal year to drop by as much as $15.5 million or 1.3 million per school as a result of the cancellation of March madness and the conference basketball tournament. So he said those losses could be mitigated by business uh, interruption insurance or drawing on the conference's $22.5 million emergency reserve fund. Um, I think that fund, it doesn't seem like they need the the fund right now because you kind of need that for if there's disruption to college football because that's where I think where the biggest revenue uh, drop would be.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's going to require, you know, Hopefully, all of these all of these universities have some sort of disaster insurance that includes this um, beyond whatever business interruption service the uh, Pac-12 has, because it's going to be bad.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's there's a lot of potential for bad there, so we we need to get this. Everyone stay home. Let's Ever let's have it hands. not
0: be bad. Everyone stay stay the hell home, yeah. so we can have it not be bad and stop like you know propagating arguments about opening things up. Let's just not do it. Let's just see how long we can go. Let's go like four months. Let's not do anything. Nobody do anything. We'll podcast as long as it takes. Tell you what, we'll commit. We'll do it right here. We'll podcast for 16 straight hours one day. We'll do it. We could do it. We're not going to do it. Probably not, but no. if we wanted to. Um, what would we do? Like, I think we would have to like do live commentary on something. Like, I think that's what it would have to be. Like, we'd have to watch 16 hours of something and just talk about it the entire See, time. See,
1: if the Pac-12 network did something like, hey, these are the best college football games, like...
0: Maybe, <laughs> and we watch four of them? <laughs> or maybe they could do
1: Pac-12 in 60. So maybe you could do, like, 16 games. Um, you know, like, like, the best... Or, say, t- top 15 games for the last, I don't know, five years or something in the Pac-12, and they put them all in 60-minute versions, and we, like watched them and commentated the whole time that would be kind of fun
0: that'd be i mean fun's a word fun is a word for what that would be
1: <laughs>
0: i don't know if it's the exact one I'd use but it's certainly one of them
1: yeah uh, there's other one other little piece of news football news so uh Anthony Brown who is a three-year starter for Boston College he's a quarterback he committed to the ducks and uh Wilner says he'll be uh, you know he, he immediately becomes a favorite to be the starter for the opener so Maybe that's Justin Herbert's replacement. They get a, a big time transfer from BC, uh, Anthony Brown. Oompa. Yeah. You cool with that?
0: That's great. That's great. Um,
1: is there anything else here? Is this all, ah, This is I all think, the same stuff. I think it was, uh, yeah, I put all the notes in there. Look at so you. It just, Look at you. I, well, you know, since I have to, you know, figure out what we're going to talk about on the show and book our guests and set all that stuff up. I figure it's better that if I go through, it's so weird how
0: you say that stuff as if I'm not the one who does all the work. It's so strange (laughs) to me. Like you you wield your words like a cudgel against me. Yet I am the one who
1: is the engine of this operation. You you, I think she did reply to one of my text messages today. That was I good. I did.
0: I did. Did it take me seven and a half hours to respond to it? Yeah. yeah. But I replied.
1: When I told you wh- who I booked for the show and what we were going to be doing and stuff, and you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. But and then, what was
0: my re- – yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Go uh, ahead. Yeah.
0: No, oh, no. No, no, you're, please. You go.
1: You go. Should I Should I look at what your response was? Uh, It was – oh, wait, no. Was that an email? I think you sent me an email then on that um oh no you've i've been using the uh our email to beat up an economics phd so that was your <laughs> that was your response so maybe you want to tell people what the hell's so, going on
0: there all right so last uh, look I'll, I'll 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 do what he requests i'm going to correct the record so last week um i was talking on our college football podcast i, w- I think we we were deciding to dis- to talk about um why or why not people should not go to college. Um, and I made the statement that uh, essentially any economist would tell you the math says you shouldn't go to college. It's not a good investment unless you're, you know, going to a top-tier university. Uh, it was probably a little bit hyperbolic. Um, our man, Stephen Poe, who's a, uh, uh, a big boy. It's Poe. Poway, poway. Yeah. Poe uh Pow, it, it so so looking at it it should be
1: poe okay but it's Poway.
0: i know but i'm gonna go with poe um go ahead. Yeah, and no, now now more than ever um i'm gonna go with poe uh so Stephen poe uh came at me with um i, I don't want to say a dissertation right you wouldn't want to describe this word doc that was attached to this email as a dissertation but it has reached the threshold where it is too long for us to actually read it on air. And longtime listeners will know uh, that makes it really, really, really long and pretty unwieldy. There's a lot of links and stuff. Basically, the gist is um, there's still major differences in essentially revenue outcome, um, like your your take-home pay um, if you go to college versus—well, not if you go to college. If you graduate from college versus not. Um, Still some major differences in wealth outcomes, social returns, various other things. So he made his point. um, Nowhere in his documentation did it reference debt. Um, Nowhere in his documentation did it reference the huge percentage of people who go to college and then drop out. Um, So my contention stated less hyperbolically is that if you are thinking about going to college or sending your kids to college. Keep in mind that the average undergrad walks out of undergraduate school with about 30K in debt, and there's about a 40% chance that whoever you're sending to college is gonna drop out, and there's a pretty good chance that even if they don't, they're gonna be underemployed at the end of it and have a job that they could've gotten out of high school. So, just consider the idea that you might not want to go to college, that it might not necessarily be the logical next step for everybody. And maybe not even like stated that broadly, it might not be the logical next step for most people. Hmm. That's what I'll say.
1: Interesting. All right. Like so so Steve, so-
0: Steve can bring it back now and he can come at me again, but that's, that's, that's where we left it.
1: The, uh, I mean, you have children. I do not. Mm-hmm. is it to the point where you would like not recommend your kids go to college? Cause I mean, I, I, I don't have kids, but I think I'd still will maybe just cause that's what so you normally is done.
0: If I'm gauging. So the thing is it basically at our current rate of, um, the, this unregulated student loan interest market, and just the way tuitions are skyrocketing along with your ability to just get these completely unsecured loans. Um, Yeah, there's no way by the time my kids are old enough to go that it would make anywhere near. Right now, already, it's getting to the point where it's iffy on an average to average basis. Like if you're just comparing medians, Um, Steve's point is that it's still more valuable to go to college and he's probably right there. But it's going to quickly get overbalanced here if the tuitions keep rising and loan the loan market rises to meet it because you're going to end up with situations. I mean, already it's insane how much undergraduate education costs, but say it's, you know, whatever, it's 40 to 60 grand a year now, I think, something like that. What if, What? What about when it gets to 100K um, and you're graduating from undergraduate with an average of $100,000 in debt? That's not... It's one thing to graduate professional school with a hundred thousand dollars in debt, and it's still a pain in the butt. But it's one thing to do that because you can then discharge it with whatever high high-powered lawyer job or medical job you have. What do you do when your job coming out of high school is like I'm gonna go be a law clerk for like fifteen bucks an hour? Or out of college is that? I mean, you're not discharging you're not discharging twenty grand in loan, let alone a hundred thousand. So um yeah no basically to answer your question if it continues this way the only way my kids are going to school if it's if as if they get a scholarship um, mm-hmm. there's just no way i could i could justify saying to them you should take out a hundred thousand dollars in loans per year to go to school that's crazy
1: yeah that's uh, yeah i would have i mean i think for me too like having a like a a technical degree, like I have, if they were going to do something like that, but if you're like, I want to go study art history, is that really going to be worth it? You know, I I might take that into consideration. Well, and this is where it
0: gets weird for me because there's a lot of value in a broad liberal arts education, not for everybody, but for some people there is. And I would say for a lot of people there is, but it shouldn't cost that much damn money. Um, And so once you get to the point where it has to cost that much money because of our, completely unregulated loan market system. um, You have to look at it as a value play, like completely as a value play. Um, And then to your point, you have to go get an engineering degree or get something that's going to take you into medical school and beyond or um, something that'll put you on a fast track to a legal education, which really can be anything. So that's why so many people like myself who studied history or political science or something like that, They end up going to damn law school, not because they wanted to be a lawyer, but because it's the only way to make any money um, coming out of um, a liberal arts education. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a really disrupted system. Um, It's gotten progressively worse um, over the last, especially the last decade. But the last like 20 years have been very bad. Um, And
1: things might reset themselves, though, like, well, I mean, there's going to be. I think a lot of schools that were really selective are going to accept more students because they know some students aren't going to go. Like, do you feel like this could be like a market correction, I guess, where you know tuition's not going to go up exponentially every year?
0: I doubt it. I mean, I, I haven't seen any reason why that's happened so far. And I think so many people are told from the beginning, And I I don't know if this attitude is changing. And I've got Stephen Poe telling me, and it shouldn't change, um, (laughs) that you've got people who are told from the time that their kids are little or the time they were little. Now, for this generation, like my generation, I was told from the time I was little, you got to go to college. Um, But now my kids, it's just this generational thing. You have to go to college because you have to. That's how you set yourself up for success. But it's really not. How you set yourself up for success is not going to college. It's going to college and then getting a graduate degree and then making a bundle of money with which you can discharge your undergraduate and graduate loans for the next 10 years. Um, but if you just get an undergraduate degree, that's the equivalent of a high school degree 50 years ago. And But the thing about that high school degree 50 years ago is it didn't cost any money. It
1: was free, um, yeah.
0: So it's – I don't see it changing because I think that demand is it's not fixed. I think there's a point at which it'll break apart a little bit more, but then you end up with, you end up with an even uglier situation, which is the naturally poor um, are even more pushed out than they were before. Like the ones who grew up in poverty are even more pushed out of this whole thing than they were before because it's just, again, costing too much damn money.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, all right. Do we have anything else? Well, that or was we... cheerful. Yeah. Sorry, but uh, but I know you got in this. It was a really long email. Um... It was a
0: really long email, and then he responded with another really long one, and it's Uh-oh. just. So my thing with my thing with Steve um, is it's. <sighs> Look, I'll say things hyperbolically on here, but like when you're like writing to somebody, like I don't know, leading off an email with "this is laughable," it's like buddy, I know there's differing opinions on this, treating it like it's a completely like throwaway thing. I understand his position that it's, you know, this is still a good value for now. And that's right. But is yeah. it going to be in five, 10 years? You don't know. And there's differing scholarship on it. And pretending like there isn't is just, I don't know. It doesn't seem very intellectually curious.
1: I, yeah, I like, I mean, you and I differ on a lot of like, you know, we have different opinions on things. Like our philosophies are different, but I always like to listen to what you have to say and just be like, oh, that's interesting. Well, I, I think it's this way or whatever. But yeah, if you're going to just shut someone off, like, no, your opinion is just completely wrong. It's like, no, I mean, it, if it's not like something factual, you can, like, okay, here's the actual numbers. Like you said, you can look at those numbers different ways. So, yeah. So, Stephen Powell, <laughs> I Powell.
0: Yeah. I, I, I got you.
1: <laughs> Stephen Powell, I think it was, you uh, remember Lee Hacksaw Hamilton? He would be like, Stephen Poway coming down the I-5 freeway or whatever. He was one of those guys. Um, But thanks, Steve, for the long email. I'm sorry we can't read it, but we'll read some of a bunch of the other ones afterwards. But now we got to finish up our spring football previews that David loves so much. Uh, So first, uh, we're going to talk some Washington State. So be right back and we're going to talk a little bit of Washington State with uh, our new friend, uh, Brady Frederick. All right, we're ready to talk some Washington State football. Washington State Cougars. Please. And on the line, we have Brady Frederick does the great job covering the Cougs for CougFan.com. You can follow them on Twitter at CougFan.com. He's coming on the show via Skype. Brady, thanks for coming on, man.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
1: We just wanted to check in, uh, you know, what's going on with Washington State doing our spring previews. and we, I know you've covered the team for the last year. Um, unfortunately, it seems like every offseason, there's just, you know, the, the Washington State program get, gets hit by just, you know, travesty. It's just terrible. Uh, I, I don't know if you want to talk about what happened this offseason. I know Dave and I addressed it a little bit, but really unfortunate situation uh, with the uh, death of another player.
2: Yeah, it's it's really devastating at this point, um, especially the, un, the uncertainty of what happened. Uh, they've ruled out suicide and foul play. But. You know, it, I no matter what, it, it it really is a tragedy. He was regarded as as really a great guy by everybody involved with the program, and uh, it's it's, it's going to be a tough hit for sure.
0: How how is the how's the community dealing with this? I mean, just you know, basically a year off of the Holinsky tragedy.
2: It's a lot different, especially with you know the coronavirus impact, and nobody's really in Pullman. So when it happened with Tyler Holinske, you know, it was it was very obvious. There were candlelight vigils, there were people talking about it. All the I remember all my professors at school were bringing it up uh, and reaching out for help. And it's it's a lot quieter, but the the presence of it on social media and in other media outlets, uh, it's interesting to see that transition. It's all kind of talked about digitally. But there have been a lot of you know good stories talking about his life and his impact, uh, so that's been great. And you know it's it, it is really really a tough one though.
1: Yeah. So if there is a season, I'm sure there'll be some more remembrances for uh, Bryce Beekman, um, and uh, we'll you know you guys can keep us updated on what's going on there. But you mentioned being in Pullman. You're in Pullman now as a college town like that where the there's no students around. I, how is that right now? I mean, it must be kind of weird there right now.
2: It it is extremely weird. It's crazy. Now Pullman's usually very quiet uh, during breaks and summers. I've been around for a couple of those, but it's it's never really gotten to this level. The, all the streets are empty, uh, and it's a really eerie vibe on campus right now. Uh, the majority of students went back home. Um, there's still a couple out, but it's it really is interesting. I had to walk into the uh, the ATM on campus a couple weeks ago. And I don't think I saw a single person from the walk to my apartment to the middle of campus. And yeah, it's it's really eerie. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that that goes for a lot of places, but especially so in a place like that. Um, Well, switching gears a little bit um, to the actual Washington State football team. uh, Big news in the offseason with Mike Leach taking off from Mississippi State. And Nick Rolovich coming to town, another guy with a fun offense, kind of an eccentric style. Um, What have you seen out of him so far? How's he fit? And uh, what's the mood of, I don't know, kind of the fan base around uh, the new hire and and Leach departing?
2: Well, when Leach left, uh, it it, it was a blow. A lot of people, they were definitely up in the air the entire season, definitely something a lot of people predicted. Still a bummer when it came around, but The bringing Rolovich in has been great so far. He's really done everything right that he could do up to this point, both on like a football level and just, uh, within like the WSU culture. Um, some, some big things that he, some big changes he's made. He's really emphasized how important the rivalry game with Washington is going to be. That's something that, uh, Leach got a lot of criticism for treating it as just another game. Um, and, you know, but losing the last seven has made a lot of people very upset. Uh, and Rolovich came out first introductory press conference and listed how many days we are, were away from playing that game. That's been great. Uh, the run and shoot is going to be very exciting. It'll be interesting to see how, you know, how quickly we can adapt to that, though. It's uh, going to have a lot more stress on the reads for with receivers and quarterbacks but not too different from the air raid otherwise but yeah, the adjustment should be should be pretty smooth should continue to be some exciting you know heavy passing offense washington state football
1: yeah even though the offense is changing and you're changing head coaches as far as like trying to pick something if you want to be like along similar themes i could guess i guess you could say it's still going to be you know one of the most pass happy offenses in the country most likely i think washington state and uh and hawaii were like top two last year if i'm not mistaken or the last couple of years but yeah. then also you get the great quote i mean you you have a, another head coach with like all this just abundance of personality different but you know there's it's still there's like the similar themes i guess you could say with uh rolovich and uh, mike leach
2: yeah rolovich really does seem like a good fit for the culture of washington state uh He's going to do a lot of things differently than Leach, but I think the fans are really going to respond well to him. I think the players, uh, he set a very good first impression with the returning players. They were all hyped when he came in. So he's definitely doing a lot of things right right now. Um, talking about the
0: offense in particular um, what are things looking for quarterback um, heading into next season obviously you know no spring to speak of but what's the what's the inkling about um, how that competition's going to go?
2: well there's a lot of really good potential candidates right now the two front runners would be Gunnar Cruz and Cameron Cooper they've been around for a little while uh, going through spring practice and but there are there are a couple of guys who could come out and compete, and you know, that's the one of the biggest bummers about having no spring uh, practice is that was going to be the forefront uh, and the biggest focus that we were all going to be looking at. We've got guys like John Bledsoe, uh, our new J.C. transfer, Will Heckman. Uh, we've got a second-year walk-on Aaron Angelou- Angelos. They were all dudes who could have come in and, and competed, and I think we're still going to get that competition whenever the season uh, begins to look like it's going to start up. But I, I think right now, Cam and Cooper and Gunnar Cruz are definitely the the top two in consideration. But, you know, that was... Uh, Rolovich hasn't really practiced with anybody, so I think it's anyone's game. He said that uh, everybody's going to get a chance to earn the spot, and we'll we'll just kind of see how it plays out.
1: Uh, Max Borg, he's a, a stud back there at running back. You know, you don't get to hear as much about him because of playing in that offense. How do you think he's gonna fit in with this run and shoot?
2: I think he's about to have a huge season, by far his biggest yet. I think the the running shoot just offers a little bit more uh carries for him and he's already, you know, proven himself as a receiving running back, but he he can definitely get it done, you know, from off of a handoff or a anything like that so I I think especially once Rolovich and the coaching staff sees you know how electric he can be and how he can really take control and and run up the run up some yards I I think he's going to see a lot more touches this season especially just with how much he's developed now going into his junior year um looking at that um
0: the defense um it looks so looking at kind of returning production on both sides of the ball it looks like the offense isn't returning a whole lot which you can expect in an air raid basically means the quarterback isn't uh returning but uh defensively uh Bill Connolly's returning production numbers have uh, Washington State ranked 22nd um can you kind of run through what's returning and what isn't
2: what are the big question marks defensively defensively uh you know one of the biggest losses is in our secondaries, Marcus Strong, graduating senior. And obviously, Bryce Beekman uh, is going to be a tough one. Um, and the the secondary, other than that, a lo- there's a lot of holes. But Skylar Thomas should be back. Uh, Armani Marsh. Marsh is a guy who you know has a lot of versatility. He could play nickel. He could play safety. He could even play corner. Um, so it'll be interesting seeing where they all come in. Our linebackers... Uh, as we, as we transition into a four-man base, we have, we'll have we uh, have a 4-2-5 set. So all of our linebackers are returning. Jahad Woods, who led uh, the team in tackles last season, uh, will be back. And all of our rush linebackers are going to be transitioning into defensive ends. So that will be interesting uh, to see how well they can adapt to doing that. But, you know, not a ton of lo- big losses – so, but, you know, the secondary or the, the entire defense really did struggle last season, giving up a lot of explosive plays, giving up a lot of third downs, missing a lot of open field tackles. So it's I, I, there's still going to be a huge emphasis on revamping the defense. And Rolovich has come out and said that was his biggest focus as soon as he got into Washington State.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the things where just it seems like Nick Rolovich, caught, you know, kind of gets it as far as how important the defense is. I mean, it seemed like, you know, it's not like Mike Leach ignored the defense, but their focus was more on the offensive side of the football. Uh, and there, you know, there've been some really good defensive coordinators there, you know, you're having Tracy Clays and uh, guys like that. But the, it seems like even though Nick Rolevich is like this offensive guy, he's putting more, at least talking more about the focus and, and making sure that the defense is shored up.
2: Yeah, and one of the things he did, uh, he his first uh, coaching hire was Jake Dickert, our new defensive coordinator, and he wanted to make sure he kind of built the rest of the coaching staff around that. So he's definitely putting a, a lot of emphasis into the our, our, our defense and fixing all the problems that we had last season.
0: Um, looking ahead at the season, um, what's – kind of your expectation for things this year um do you think it's going to take a season for rolovich to get things in place um to where he wants it to be are they going to hit the ground running do you think this is a bull team i know that's a lot but just kind of what's your general perspectives for the season at this point obviously without very much information
2: i think they have a good shot at being a bull team um i don't want to set my expectations too high But I do think that the biggest thing is going to be making sure we have a quarterback who can understand the run and shoot. Beyond that, uh, we lost some good wide receivers, but we still have a lot of depth there uh, and a lot of guys who I think will be able to step up and make plays and kind of bring it back to business as usual. Our offensive line still, I think, will be one of the top in the Pac-12. And I think Max Borgie will get a, a lot more touches, have an even better season than he did last year. So I think on offense, it's really going to come down to the quarterback and how everyone adjusts to the new offensive system. On defense, I personally think it can only get better. I think we have a lot of talented athletes, and I think there was a lot of confusion last season, especially with Clay's leaving halfway through and the room defensive coordinator system they were running. Uh, I think it, that just – led a lot of confusion, maybe undermine some of the play of the players.
1: Uh, we're talking with uh, Brady Frederick. He's with the uh, beat writer for kookfan.com. And uh, one last thing for you, Brady, before we let you go, this has been, you know, a spring football, spring football is supposed to start March 27th. We're trying to do previews. Obviously that's all been thrown out the window with the coronavirus quarantine and everything, uh, quarantine and everything we've seen Arizona state get seven practices. Schools like Washington, Washington State, Colorado didn't get any. All three of those schools have new head coaches bringing in new systems. Have they talked anything about the the unique challenges that brings when you're Nick Rolovich? you come in and you say all the right things, you hit the ground running, you make good hires, you get people excited. Then you can't do anything on the field. And if maybe nothing happens until July or something, and and, and the kind of disadvantage it would put a program like Washington State – where you have a new head coach and you can't do anything for almost the entire off season.
2: I think it'll be a disadvantage but I think, you know, what they can't do anything on the field but they do have a lot of time to to study the system, you know, and like basically in the classroom. I'm sure uh Rolovich and the coaches are still talking with the all of our players making sure they understand and I I really I think it's going to be a disadvantage but I think whenever this all clears up and they can get back on the field uh I do feel that they're gonna be the doing the best that they can. and you know I, I, while the the new system that that does make it tougher, you know everybody in the in the NCAA doesn't get to practice right now. so it's not like we're at a significantly bigger disadvantage. It's just just a little it's gonna be a little bit more
1: difficult. All right, Brady Frederick, doing a great job up there in Pullman, please stay safe and uh Keep us updated on what's going on. Thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me guys. You guys stay safe. Thanks Brady. All right. Now we're going to switch gears from Washington state to cover Washington Huskies. And we have Chris fetters from Dogman.com. Chris has done a great job covering the dogs for quite a few years. I'm not going to say how many, but he's been doing it a long time and he's been on our show many times. Chris, thanks for coming on again.
3: Thanks guys. Great to talk to you.
1: Yeah, we, uh, you know, we're trying to preview spring, like we talked about. Obviously, there's no spring football, but and Washington was the last school on our list for Washington and uh, and Washington State. The schools with new head coaches are kind of getting the shaft here by not having spring football, but maybe Washington's in a little bit better place because Jimmy Lake was on the staff and the culture's kind of continuing. It's not like Matt, you know, changing everything out. So maybe that's some kind of advantage that at least Jimmy Lake is. Still going to be there, and that culture from Chris Peterson will still exist.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, to you know, there's not just the the, the seamless transition with having a, a coordinator become the coach, but you all you all you also have all of the other coaches that have stayed on board. The only other coach that really transitioned out was Jordan Powpow, who the tight ends coach who went from Washington to UNLV. Uh, I think with Marcus Arroyo, if I remember right. So, um, they brought, they, they actually stayed in house and brought in a guy that was already in the program, Darren Cato. And so Durham Cato is going to be the, the tight ends coach. And so they really only have to kind of integrate that one piece. But that being said, there's also a really huge piece in coaching when they got rid of Bush Hamden and the offensive coordinator. And they brought in John Donovan from the Jacksonville Jaguar. So, you know, the offense is, that's, that was going to be the real question of spring guys is. How was this offense going to work? You had all of the junior pieces that looked at, that that were going to have monster 2020 seasons. They all decided they wanted to go pro, whether that was Jacob Eason, whether that was uh, Savon Ahmed, whether that was Hunter Bryant. And then you add all of the you know, three senior offensive linemen. Um, they lost a lot of pieces on the offense. So that was going to be the big thing heading into this spring.
0: Um, just to the offseason point, I, I know when Chris Peterson announced the whole thing and I was kind of blown away by it, like it came out of left field for me. Um, I know Bruce Feldman tweeted afterwards that, you know, this had been a long time coming and I know a few other people had had some info. Was this shocking to you or was it something that you were expecting, uh, coming down the pike?
3: It's weird. You're right, uh, David, in the sense that I was kind of of two minds, um, The timing of it was shocking, but the decision itself for, for those of us that had covered Chris Peterson for his whole time at Washington was not shocking at all. Um, you could tell from the moment he came to Montlake, he was not a lifer. He was not going to be one of those guys that croaks on the sidelines. He's just, it's just not him at all. Um, he made a fine point of it. And, um, he really talked about getting out of the, of the coaching thing even before he was like 60, um, He had had very, very public comments to that effect. So the idea of him getting out when he did, while on the surface the timing was shocking because it really just did come high on the heels of a a big Apple Cup victory. They had started to turn some things a little bit. There was still obviously some huge questions going on offensively as to what they were going to do to try to fix things, Um, and and those were always going to be on the forefront of of fans' minds. Yeah, the timing was was really, really interesting. But then again, when you look at it in, in terms of the whole picture, it made a ton of sense because of all the things that Chris Peterson laid out in the press conference right after the Apple Cup. A couple days later when they announced it with Jen Cohen and Jimmy Lake, you know, and just in terms of this is if there was ever going to be a time where we could make a transition that made sense, that kept intact all the values and the culture that we created in the six years that we were at Washington, this would be the time to do it. Jimmy Jimmy's time is now. You know, we've promoted from within as far as we could in terms of going from a from a DB coach to a coordinator to you know to, to the next thing that he was going to do, which was gonna have to be a head coach, because he had gotten overtures from, you know, Alabama, AM, all these other programs trying to get him. Arizona State was hot on his trail before they hired Herm Edwards. So his next his next job was going to be a head coach. It was just going to be a matter of when, not if. So when you put everything together and you really think about the timeline, um, it starts to make sense. And then when you add Chris Peterson's comments, even going back as far as the Rose Bowl, when he said he didn't enjoy it, and, and for a kid from California who was all about football, to, to not appreciate one of the singular college football moments that all Californians kind of crave, it's just for him not to, to not to absorb it take it in for what it was and kind of smell the flowers so to speak um, that was really telling but yeah on the one hand the timing of it shocking but the actual decision not shocking at all
1: for the offensive coordinator goes with John Donovan is this was it kind of inspired by like a Joe Burrow kind of move uh you know where like what you were seeing down at LSU bringing in someone from um, you know, the, from the professional ranks and try to make it work in college. Is that kind of what the inspiration was? And how do you think that offense is going to work at Washington?
3: Well, if you go by, if you go by Jimmy Lake's own comments since, and, and, and whether he was talking in the abstract at that initial press conference where he said he wanted an attacking pro style thing where they would go vertical instead of horizontal and all these types of things, you could kind of see where he was, where he was heading at, but when Donovan was hired, he pretty much admitted that he wanted to go pro. I mean, he wanted an NFL uh, brain. He wanted a guy that had had um, significant NFL experience going forward. And I think it really was based on how his own NFL experience went when he was at like Tampa Bay. And when he was at Detroit, you know, he had a few years there where he had done some things and, I think going to the pros and being a coach there, he apparently it was transformative for him. That's the way he talks about it. He talks about how it really altered a ton of things on how he approached just coaching in general and just the amount of information that he got. I think both not just in the techniques and the X's and O's, but also maybe in the man management and some of these other things that you have to do. So when he when he got a chance, to hook up with with Chris Peterson at Boise State, it was because of Peterson's reputation of putting guys into the pros, and he called it his secret sauce. He wanted to know what Peterson's secret sauce was in terms of taking these two and three star kids going to Boise and, turn them in and, and turning them into first and second round draft picks. That was what he wanted to know. And then as he transitioned back into college, and then got into the, you know got into Washington as a coordinator, and then now as the head coach, this was all part and parcel of what he thought was the natural kind of evolution of going from his pro experience back into college. And with John Donovan, John Donovan had a wealth of experience in college, whether it was at Vanderbilt and then at Penn State under Franklin and then going to Jacksonville, I think he saw kind of a similar timeline and a similar way of thinking. And I think that was a, that was a big part of it. I think, he said Jimmy Lake said that every time he talked to his guys in the NFL, and I don't know what that means, whether it's other coaches, whether it's general managers, front office people that he knew, John Donovan's name was just the guy that kind of kept popping up time and time again. So if you go back, he was kind of he was the coordinator. I think when Hackenberg was at Penn State, for instance, um, he was there. Obviously, when Franklin was at Vanderbilt. Um, and they had some pretty good offenses there as well. So he's, he's talking about it as a, as a, as a big pro-style attack, very aggressive. Um, they're going to be strong at the point of attack. They're going to go vertical. Um, they're, they're not going to shy away from things. That, I mean, he's saying all the right things, right? I mean, he's, he's going to say all these things. Um, but the key is Jimmy Lake's not. A, he's not an offensive guy. He's never been an offensive guy. So we'll see how it all puts, you know, how, how it all comes together. But uh, I think the nice thing is as far as John Donovan goes, guys, is that he didn't come in just in the spring. He came in, you know, not too far after Lake was hired. They, you know, they, there was a little bit of a search, but it didn't take that long. And so he was, Donovan was able to kind of come in and, and really get running. And other than, you know, having to change with Durham Cato from, Jordan Pau tight end, he's still got, uh, you know, he's still got Scott Huff with the offensive line. They still got Keith Bonafall with the running backs, still got Junior Adams with the wide receivers. I mean, the the guys that coached all last year, they're all there. They can all really clue him in on to kind of what was going on. And then he can kind of base his assessments going forward. But now he's been here legitimately four months. So it's not like he came in and then all of a sudden the virus just altered the whole everybody's world. He, he was able to kind of get some things done, put some things together where now the, the terminology is kind of there, but now the, the, the bones of the thing are in place. Now it's just a matter of what kind of plan can they put together to really flesh this thing out while everybody has to kind of learn all these things remotely.
0: Um, so talking about, obviously, a key spot, the quarterback position. So who's going to be the next Jake? for uh for washington
2: <laughs>
0: you mean who's gonna be your next whipping boy mr woods <laughs>
3: well,
0: okay, maybe but yeah. you gotta have another couple of jakes right Are there there's at least another one right
3: there's there's one jake still left
2: for you it's, cool. uh, it's jake, okay.
3: jake jacob sermon he's a he's a six 230 pound junior um really great kid a local kid out of bothell um You know, he's he was one of those. I don't know if you guys remember when they had the situation right before um, Eason were where the spring ball came out and they him and Colson Yankoff both went into the transfer portal like right away, right after spring ball. And then like two days later, he came back to Washington, whereas Colson Yankoff went to UCLA. So he's kind of the one holdover and all here. He's he's kind of the veteran, I guess so to speak. He's played in a handful of games. He played in five games last year, but he only threw three, three balls. So um, really kind of the ultimate mop up kind of situation for him last year. And, um, but he is the one that comes in with, with playing experience. The guy that comes in that's that, that understands the different things that they were trying to do the last couple of years. So he's, he's the veteran guy. And then the guy who redshirted last year is a guy named Dylan Morris, who is a kid, another local kid, not quite as local little more South Puget Sound area in a place called uh, Graham Kapowson. And uh, he's he's a really good quarterback. He was a kid who was starting at the four a level at Washington in the high schools. Then that's the highest level in terms of uh, of uh, how big high school goes. That's four A is the biggest. And he was starting at a four a school as a true freshman as a ninth grader. So he's had a wealth of experience. I've been watching Dylan Morris throw balls before he was ever at Graham Kapowson. and he can, he can sling it. He's a really good quarterback, not the biggest kid in the world, kind of more like a Browning, maybe even a little shorter, probably more like six foot six one. Um, but he's, he's more, he, I think he's more mobile than Jake Browning was. Um, Does he have a cannon
0: like Browning did? He, he's got a better <laughs>
3: arm than Jake Browning. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's, I, I don't know if he's there if he's got the full game, like, I don't know if he sees it quite the way Jake does right. or can run things the way that Brownie, because that's the one thing that Brownie had over pretty much anybody is that he just understood how to run the game. Um, and then the last guy who's coming in is going to be the true freshman, uh, Ethan Garbers, who you guys know from Southern California, um, Corona Del Mar, if I remember correctly. And then, um, he, you know, he he helped lead those guys to a CIF state title. Uh, and he's kind of midsize. He's like six, three, about 200 pounds. So he's kind of the, he's kind of right in the middle of, of Jacob sermon and Dylan Morris. And, uh, he's a guy that just exploded onto the scene down in Southern California. If you, if you talk to guys like Brandon Huffman and Greg Biggins, you you know, I think they'll tell you he's, he was probably one of the most improved seniors in the entire section down there in Southern California. So I, I know Washington fans are super excited to, to see him. And they also understand that, uh, you know, just like Chris Peterson, Jimmy Lake is an equal opportunity employer. If you come in as a true freshman, he doesn't care if you're the quarterback. If you're the best guy for the job, he'll, he'll pick you. And as we saw back in 2015, that's exactly what happened with Jake Browning. So this this quarterback competition was going to be the thing that was going to shape all of April. Because Garbers was going to enroll in time. And he is, he is technically enrolled now, but he's obviously taking uh, classes remotely. Um, but all three of those guys were going to be there and they were going to be, it was going to be tooth and nail because there was really, it was not like Jacob Sermon, even though he was the established guy was not the clear front runner. It wasn't like by a mile, everyone understood that Jacob Sermon was going to be the heir apparent for Jacob Eason. It just, there was not, it was not that cut and dried. The only reason it was last year was because Dylan Morris was red shirt. Yeah. So that, that, that basically is it in a nutshell. You've got three guys trying to cut each other's throats and, and may the best man win
1: the uh, obviously everyone's going to look at the quarterback spot, but he was, you know, Easton was only one of the guys that left early. You already mentioned, uh, you know, some of the other guys where you're talking about Ahmed or Hunter Bryant or Trey Adams, uh, well not leaving early, but you know, losing Trey Adams on the offensive line, losing Nick, Nick Harris. It seems like there's a lot of guys to replace on that offensive side of the ball. Who are some of the names that are there? You know, Pac-12 fans should probably be looking for that these guys are going to be potential stars in the Washington's offense going forward.
3: Yeah, that, it's again, you know, guys need to emerge, and one of the big guys that really emerged last year was running back Richard Newton, and he missed a couple games because he got a little banged up, but as a retro freshman, he really emerged as kind of the third down power back, goal line. Give it to him; he's going to find a way. To just hit somebody in the mouth and move the pile, and what was really telling was that you know he had probably just half a little bit more than halfway the number of carries of Savan Ahmed last year, and he basically had the same number of touchdowns. So that tells you a little something about how they relied on him to to get the job done down, you know, late in games, deep territory, third, fourth down, those kind of really high leverage situations. That was Richard Newton's time to shine. And so he's he's a guy that's coming back that they're going to have to really rely on. And and he'll couple with Sean McGrew and Kamari Pleasant. Those are the two seniors that are, that are coming back. Um, so they'll have a nice little mix there because McGrew obviously is the smaller, quicker back who finds ways of kind of playing behind the blockers and moving. And Kamari Pleasant is by far their bigger back. He's like 220. Plus at this point now, I think if they've redone the heights and weights for the players recently. So he can be another guy, a bigger back in in, in the short yardage packages. I'd say at receiver, they got a ton of guys coming back. Uh, as you guys know, one of the big guys that came in as a true freshman and did some real damage was Nakua. You know, he only ended up playing in eight games because he got hurt. But and he only had seven catches, but he had two of them were for touchdowns. He averaged 21 yards a, a pass reception.
1: Oh, yeah. He's a so stud. He stud. is a flat-out
3: yeah. stud. He was, As you know, Ryan, he was committed to USC before um, reopening his thing real late in the process. Um, he's another guy I think they're going to have to rely on. But Washington's going to have a handful of really good receivers coming back that are going to have to show what they can do. Because you know Terrell Bynum showed at the end of the year that he could do something nice. Uh, he's another St. John Bosco guy with, um, with Sean McGrew, for instance. Um, you know, you've got not just Nakua, but Jordan Chin. Jordan Chin was a guy that, you know, he only had three catches last year, but two of them were for touchdowns, and they were huge catches. Um, he, he, he averaged uh, twenty or 32 yards a catch. Um, it was just ridiculous. You had Marcus Spiker, who only had three catches, but he averaged 22 yards a catch. So you have guys that have big playmaking ability. They just couldn't find them, and they didn't really rely on them too much because they had the two seniors last year in Aaron Fuller and, uh, and uh, Andre Bocelli who were getting the bulk of the time. And I think that really frustrated a lot of Washington fans because they could see the, the potential in some of these younger kids. And so again, you know, you've got Nakua, you've got, um, you've got Jordan Chin, you've got Marcus Spiker, you've got Troll Bonham, but then you got a couple of big time studs, true freshmen, uh, Jalen McMillan from up in the Fresno area, who was a big time, you know, uh, US All, uh, Army All-American guy. And then also uh, Rome Odunzi from Las Vegas, who was also a big time player, played in the Polynesian Bowl. So you've, you, you've got a, a, a nice stable of receivers that are coming back that they can use. They're just young for the most part. They're just young. And then um, tight end, you talked about losing Hunter Bryant, but they also get back Cade Otten uh, for his last year. And, and he had 32 catches last year, uh, averaged about 11 yards a catch. He is a guy that can be a weapon in the pass game for sure. Um, you know, they've got a couple of other guys coming back at that position. Jacob Kaiser, who's probably more of a blocking threat. They've got uh, Devin Culp, who I think got a little big. He got about two sixty-five. He, I think he dropped down just a little bit. So I think they're expecting some things out of him. They didn't, they didn't use him a ton last year. Um, but I think he is a guy that's going to have to emerge a little bit more. And then you mentioned the offensive line. You lose the three seniors in uh, Trey Adams, Nick Harris, Jared Hilbers. And now you can pretty much move any of these these up and coming linemen almost anywhere across that line. I mean, you look at left tackle, for instance, who is going to replace Trey Adams? You could put um, Mateo Bele there, who uh, actually played in one game last year as a starter, but it was at center, which is crazy, right? I mean, how many left tackles are going to be playing center? But yeah. he showed he showed a lot of versatility, and he, and he could do that. You also have a guy in Jackson Kirkland who is just a mammoth. He's like 6'7", 320 right guard who, who Scott Huff might have tried to work out at left tackle this spring. That would have been maybe one of the big experiments of spring. And then you had a true freshman Another Polynesian Bowl guy and Miles Morale, who I know you guys all know from Matter Day, he is a guy that was before his injury, his junior year, was on track to be one of the one of the slam dunk five star offensive linemen in all of Southern California and, and one of the best offensive linemen in a long time down there. And uh, then he got hurt, but he's he came to Washington during winter quarter, and now and he and he did all of this. Because he wanted to win the center competition, so you've got a true freshman there, who could who could take Nick Harris's p- place. You've got Luke Wattenberg, who was the starting left guard, who was thought he was going to go to center to compete for that job. So there's two guys trying to slash each other's throats. You've got uh, a couple of, of um, Polynesian guys, in MJ Alley, who could fit in for Luke Wattenberg at left guard. He's six six three sixty. You've got another guy, at right tackle, in Julius Bulow, redshirt freshman, who could slide in. And he's only 6'8", 340. So you, you've, got a, you've got a wealth of talent to work with. I'm, I haven't even talked about Henry Bainavalu, Vic Kern. Um, God, I mean, there's, there's other guys I'm sure I'm probably missing. Nate Kalepo, another redshirt freshman, kid from Rainier Beach. I mean, there is a lot of talent on that offensive line, but it's just a giant jigsaw puzzle. I have no idea how they're going to fit all those pieces in. And that was going to be the other kind of um, huge talking point of spring guys was not only how's that, that quarterback competition going to unfold, but what is Scott Huff going to do with all of these huge chess pieces on this front line? How is he going to use them? What experiments was he going to try to run to see what he could get out of what best five combination could he make? Cause as you know, that's that's the thing. What is the best five? Who are the best five guys that you could find to fit into that formation? That, it would have been fascinating to see.
0: Uh, obviously, a lot of change over on the offensive end, a little bit more stability on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but one area I'm particularly interested in is inside linebacker, um, two years removed from Ben Curvin. There last year, I know um, a lot of Washington fans were kind of disappointed with the play uh, at inside linebacker. What's the expectation for this season? Because I know it was, I think Wellington started the year last year and he graduated. So what what what's it looking like at, at inside linebacker this year?
3: Yeah, I mean, David, you you identified the, the 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 absolute weak spot of last year's defense. If there was a weak spot to be had on Washington's defense, it was at inside linebacker, and the irony was. It was, they were, there was two seniors that were in those positions. Wellington was one, and then the other one was Kyler Manu. And Kyler Manu was one of these kids who was a 50-year senior who was fantastic at uh, Highland High School in Pocatello, Idaho, where he was from. He was a guy that was on Boise State's radar forever, um, was getting a little bit of, of West Coast acclaim, but not a ton. Um, then he comes to Washington, and it just never clicked. It just never clicked, but he kept getting better and better and better and better to the point where he was kind of the best option inside for them at the start of the 219 season because the guys all behind him were true freshmen. They're all almost all true freshmen um, or walk-ons. And so what happened was, you know, he played, he did his thing and what have you. But as you could tell, they were not nearly as stout inside as they were with guys like Ben Burkirv. Uh, Tevis Bartlett and even before that when you had Azeem Victor, Keyshawn Diaria, guys like that guys that had legitimate shots at the the NFL for instance. So, um, you know, a couple real big developments happened during the course of the season. Probably the biggest one was the emergence of of one of the walk ons a guy named Edifuan Ulafoshio. Uh, I just call him Eddie, but you know, uh, Edifuan, he was a kid originally from Anchorage, Alaska. Who played his high school ball at Bishop Gorman in Vegas? And he's a guy that walked on and he's, you know, he's six foot, 230. And um, he just kept getting better and better and was just a, a grinder, just an absolute grinder. And so by, I'd say by like the seventh, eighth game of the season, he had really established himself in that inside rotation. And then I'd say by the Oregon State game, for instance, which I think was one of the best overall defensive efforts washington's had since peterson got to washington um it was an absolute stonewalling i mean an absolute stonewalling um if i remember correctly oregon state's only points came on like a pick six or something um but they they, they was right in the middle of everything right, right in the middle of everything and he just kind of kept getting better and better from there so he took over one of the spots but he kind of had to take it over a little bit because the the backups were J, were uh, Jackson Sermon and MJ Tafisi, both redshirt freshmen at the time. And Tafisi got hurt a couple games earlier uh, at Arizona, where he got a pretty good stinger injury that kind of took him out for the rest of the year. So that's one of the big unknowns kind of going in is, is MJ Tafisi's situation. But the nice part is, is that Ula Foscio stepped up to the point where I think everyone's just assuming he's going to be one of the inside linebackers. Like, he could be the Mike or the Will. I don't think it really matters at this point. They're kind of interchangeable in, in um, Bob Gregory's system. But I'll tell you what, after that, you've got so many young kids that are just, I know they're spoiling for a fight. They want to prove themselves. There are a ton of kids who have come in and like, like for instance, Josh Calvert um, you know came in early last year, came in for spring ball, and then almost immediately gets hurt and done like, for the rest of the year. So I know that really crushed him because he would have he would have probably been in the two deeps. He would have factored in. He would have he would have burned his red shirt last year. I'm almost positive. But then you've got three guys behind him in uh, Mickey Ayu from Kahuku over in Hawaii, who uh, was also rehabbing a knee injury and he's full go now. And then after that you've got uh, Alfonso Tupatala from Federal Way, local kid, who is um, a guy who played in the Poly Bowl. Really surprised me. Really moves well laterally. For instance aggressive kid. I think he's got a future there inside. And then Daniel Himuli, who was kind of supposedly the cream of the crop uh, of the class of that inside linebacker group. And he was one of the few guys that didn't play. I mean, Tupatala played in a couple of games last year, obviously still kept his red shirt, but uh, Daniel Himuli didn't play at all. But he's, you know, he's, he was a guy in the Bay area that was all everything. I mean, I remember when his thing got televised and he was picking Washington over teams like Alabama and some of these other programs. and. Um, he was considered the prime get. So they've got a lot of talent again, but kind of like the receiver position, guys. Inside linebacker is going to be told by the freshman and which guys step up. But Ula Foscio should be the point man on there. Sermon and Tefisi are kind of right behind him. And then after that, it's going to be a free-for-all to see who picks up those other spots.
1: And you mentioned Kahuku High School. Makes me think of the North Shore. I want to go get some of that shrimp, the shrimp, shrimp trunk. Shrimp truck goodness. I couldn't even say that right. That's such good, it's good food over there. Giovanni's, uh, baby. Giovanni's is awesome. There's, there's a bunch of them over there that are great. Uh, last thing for you, for Jimmy Lake you know, taking over, is he still going to be calling defense, or how is that going to work this year?
3: Yeah, I suspect he will. Um, I, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't uh, at this point. It's kind of what he knows. I, he's just an aggressive guy, as you know, very confident in his abilities. Um, he's gonna roam that sideline, and I just i don't I just don't see that changing. I, I I kind of see him being in the in the mind of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. and uh, and he wants he wants he wants to have a hand in this kind of stuff. I mean, I don't think, you know, I don't think he I don't think he sees himself in a manager role quite like Peterson did, um where he kind of micromanaged. I think he understands that to a certain extent. Um, and to be honest, too, I think Pete is quite happy. Sitting there in the booth, kind of lording over the whole thing and kind of telling everybody where the chess pieces are, and then and then Lake can call the plan accordingly. I think that that kind of fits Pete Kwakowski's mindset and kind of his his character and personality. He's always been kind of the guy behind the guy. I think he's I think to me he's one of the best defensive coaches in America that no one talks about. Um, and I and I felt that way from the first time I met him and talked to him. He's just a, a kind of a no-nonsense guy, um, real self-effacing, but he, he just doesn't stick out as as one of these super hype guys. He you, he just he just proves it by the product that he puts out on the field and how he coaches his guys. And so I think he's very very happy running that defense, coaching the outside linebackers to get after the quarterback, and then just kind of being up in the booth on game days and telling telling Jimmy what he sees. Cause I think they have a really nice rapport. I think they had a really nice rapport last year, kind of doing that same thing. And so again, I just think that it's, it's a situation with Lake. It's like, yeah, I understand I'm the head coach now, but everyone also understands that that defense has been, it's been my baby for the last couple of years and I'm not giving it up. And there's really no reason to give it up because we have all the pieces in place coming back from last year. So there's no reason to try to fix something that's not broken.
1: You can follow him on Twitter at Chris underscore fetters, F E T T E R S does a great job covering the dogs for dogman.com. Thanks again for coming on, Chris. Hey, anytime guys, anytime. See, you, Chris. All right. Great stuff uh, from Chris fetters. We got to hear from, what's going on in the Washington State camp, or the Washington camp. Now we just hope, David, that we get some football and we can, all the, the knowledge we gained, we can apply to this upcoming football season.
0: Will it even feel like a football season, though, if we don't get spring football? Like, will you even be satisfied? Yes,
1: it will be fine, David. I will be fine. It's just, you know, it's just disappointing because I do like spring football. I like football. I like football. You like football.
0: I like you... football, which is why I don't like spring.
1: <laughs> but it's a, ne- it's, it's a necessary evil if you don't like it, because without spring football, you just wouldn't be in the same place you would be normally in the fall, right? No, I don't buy that argument. You just think, oh, it'd be fine. They'll Just yeah just just take six months off, don't have any football, and and everything will look exactly the same. It'll be fine.
0: Yeah, we'll call that the Shaquille O'Neal strategy. You know, Shaq is a player. You know, just take six months off in the offseason, play yourself into shape, and you're going to be dominant by the time the finals come around. Yeah. You'll be fine.
1: He's definitely an anomaly, but that's uh, that's the way that works. All right. Well, um, I did get a little hungry thinking about the shrimp trucks in Kahuku. Uh, good stuff there. Have you have you been up there in North Shore? Have you done that? Um, a long, long time ago yeah. when I was in college.
0: But, yeah, oh. it was tons of fun.
1: It is pretty good up there. All right. Well, I guess we could uh, jump into some questions. Uh, let's see. Do you want me to start?
0: uh i'll start okay this is a long one uh from chris from seoul playing in empty stadiums we did we didn't do this one right
1: no we did not i think this is where we left off last week
0: all right hey guys greetings from the land of masks everyone in korea wears a mask when in public buses subway stations and all the stores and restaurants have hand sanitizer at the ready Seoul has never had an outbreak despite never shutting down travel from China, closing restaurants and non-essential stores, closing offices, and other broad brush precautions. I am not a doctor, but I can connect the dots. Masks work, not perfectly, but a heck of a lot better than bumping elbows with and then backing six and a half feet away from a coughing, sneezing COVID-19 super spreader. Shelve the Mars landing for a month and shift that brain power to figure out how to make 75 million masks a week adjusted for population that is equivalent to Korea's production, which is used exclusively in country. Just saying. Uh, I came across a statement from Dr. Amesh Adalja uh, of the Johns Hopkins University Center for Health Security that gives some insight into whether or not we get to enjoy college football this autumn. Dr. Adalja suggested that it may be difficult to have any mass gatherings until there is a vaccine and the people should prepare for social distancing measures to move up and down as new outbreaks flare and recede. Since a vaccine is at least 18 months away, this leads to my questions. If spectators are banned, considering the revenue involved, do you think the Pac-12 presidents would be in favor of finding some way to play in empty stadiums, like testing the players weekly? Um, You want to just take these as they come?
1: Yeah, let's take them as they come. I think for like, we talked about this a little bit before. I think for the NBA, that would make sense, even maybe for the NFL, but for college, because you're like integrating student athletes on campus with other students and if you're i think if it gets to the point where you can have classes again i mean you i just think it's a very different situation so i think for college that would it'd be tougher to do than it would be for like the nba or nfl nba you could all go to one city and just have everyone be quarantined i i just don't think that works great in college
0: yeah i don't think it does at all um i don't think it would work for any college sports i think there'd be too much risk involved for the schools if anybody got sick Um, they'd have some major liability. Um, there's no contract. It's just, you know, they're not getting paid for this. So, um, no, I I can't see it. If it's still in the situation where it's all very bad, um, I can't see the empty, empty stadiums thing working. Um, other than the obvious answers of Stanford and UCLA, as they have experience from recent years, which team would get the most benefit from playing in an empty stadium? (laughs) I would say some, somebody with a really complex offense, like, like there's a lot of calls to be made.
1: Oh, yeah. Where you, there's no, like, defensive, you know, there are people yelling, like, you know.
0: Yeah, like, nobody's yelling at all in the stands. There's not that, like, odd murmur that even comes when a crowd is being quiet. Hmm. Maybe. I
1: don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's obvious, like, it's a program like Oregon, where, you know, and even Washington, where it's really loud and, and it's a great environment. A great college environment maybe that it hurts a little bit more um but you could also say like you know i, I think there's great environments in pullman and corvallis but they're smaller so maybe you know it's, it's less of an impact because there's you know fewer people around i don't know but it's I, I don't think anyone wants to play in front of an empty stadium no
0: that sounds hellish um and then would you please have the Washington two four seven dude send you some Coach Lambright stories so you can read them on a future pod to honor his years of loyalty to the Huskies? Do you think any of the players had whiplash going from Coach Lambright to Rick Neuheisel? Oh, so there was a Washington
1: question. <laughs> Wait a, it was only the first one, David. So you, you sure I would have thoroughly had to read the
0: entire thing. Look how long this email is.
1: Oh, that's true. Yes.
0: Other than you two, can you think of uh, two more polar opposites? Keep up the shelter and place work.
1: Well, we could uh, we could you know have Chris write in about some yeah we'll, uh, have,
0: we'll have Chris respond to that
1: yeah uh, good stuff there but thanks so, yeah so what do you think about the mask stuff like we're starting to now say I think the CDC or whatever recommended masks and we're seeing it more here in California I don't know if you're seeing it in yeah, Georgia
0: I've got, I've got two thoughts on it one um, their initial recommendation was to not wear masks and in fact it would provide no health benefit which now is a complete an obvious lie. It should have been obvious at the time. Um, And uh, that was dumb, mostly because I think you'll see much better results when you play up to people's altruism rather than lie to them. Um, Because I think a lot of people aren't dummies. I mean, if you see all these people in East Asia wearing masks all the time to prevent, you know, various outbreaks and also to You know, deal with the heavy air pollution in in many like Chinese cities, for example. Um, You see them doing that, and then you say, Well, why are they doing that if there's no good use to it? Um, And so then they're going to start to hoard masks and that sort of thing. But if you tell people, Hey, yeah, these masks will do some good, but these high quality N95s, we really need those for our healthcare workers. Um, So if you use those, you're depriving people who actually need it who are in high contact situations with people covered in you know who have who are emitting virus at like a high rate they're going to have a higher load of virus if they get sick um whereas you you're going to have incidental contact you could walk around with a surgical mask and get similar benefits because you're not going to be around you know people who are super ill so if you could please don't hoard these n95 masks because those really need to go to healthcare professionals if that had been the messaging you're playing up to altruism. You're playing on people's shame. You're playing on group stuff that people are generally going to make better decisions, I think, in that format. So I think the WHO, that was a pretty big misstep from them. And then secondly, yeah, of course we should be wearing masks. Um, there's I, I, I failed to see the cost. Um, and who knows if there's much benefit from like wearing a T-shirt over your face, like what a lot of people are basically doing. Um, but there's no, what's the downside?
1: Yeah, no, I think, I, I think part of it was people early on, and I'm not saying the, the world health organization was lying or whatever. I don't know, but I think oh, they, were. People,
0: they, they were, they were hundred percent lying.
1: Well, um, and they were Jesus doing it because them. they, no,
0: they were doing it because
1: they wanted people not to hoard masks.
0: And so they were telling them they didn't serve a purpose, which well. is an outright lie. Um, they do serve a purpose. I mean, there is, Whatever it is, some percentage of, you know, various particulate matter or virus or whatever doesn't get through. Um, And in certain incidental situations, maybe that provides some benefit. But, um, no, it's not as good as an N95 mask, but it's still providing some protection.
1: But if you're giving them the benefit of the doubt, maybe the focus was on, hey, it's not going to prevent you. It's not going to protect you. But the real benefit is all these carriers that don't even know they have it are not going to be, you know, spewing out their droplets or whatever and and getting other people infected. So maybe they were focused more on, look, it's really not going to protect you as much as you think, but it would protect the people around you, which that now we know, like that's what you have to try to do. It's like you, you might have the virus and not know it, but you're a carrier and you could spread it. So if you're wearing a mask, you're less likely to spread it. So I maybe just, I would give, if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, you said you can understand that better now that you did. Yeah, no,
0: but that was not the, that was not the messaging. It was part of it. uh, But another part of it was it doesn't serve any purpose for you. It's not going to, if you're a healthy person, you should not wear a mask was the message. And now we know two things. One, asymptomatic people can very much so spread the virus. So you don't know if you're a healthy person. And two, uh... Even if you are a healthy person, even on the intake, there is some value in having something covering your nose and face. I mean, it's just this is just simple logic stuff. Um, And there's certainly not a downside risk to it. So recommending against it is silly on its face. Um, Wear a bandana over your face. It's probably better than not doing it.
1: Yeah, I did. Did you uh, do you have masks and everything? I Um,
0: wore I, I wore a bandana over my face today when i went out okay but i don't have a mask no
1: um yeah i ordered a couple like i have some kind of crappy paper masks that i had and stuff before um but i yeah i, I ordered a couple like kind of cooler masks uh that are like you know cloth masks they're not like n95 masks but they're like uh you know just kind of they cooler looking so i was like hopefully i get them soon i know everyone's trying to order masks right now but um, thanks for that one. It was good to get some uh info from Korea, from South Korea. We have a question from Paul. He says, "I love you guys. Hey champions, no hard feelings that you're out of steam." Uh he he Paul asked the question at the very end of the show last week about like which uh programs have the best chance of going undefeated out of conference. He said, "When I saw there were just a few minutes left when my question came around, I adjusted my expectations accordingly." If you felt like doing it next week, awesome. If not, I still love you both. If I were day I would attach the list of preseason games for each team for you, and maybe some bonus charts. But just like you guys, I can't be bothered to try too hard. Please don't die from COVID. Thanks.
0: Okay. Um,
1: I did pull right, up so the schedule. Which ones,
0: so, I pulled it up too.
1: Okay. Um,
0: so undefeated.
1: So go alphabet, let's go alphabetical order. Do you have them in alphabetical order? I don't. So why don't you start them in alphabetical order? Okay. So. We'll go Arizona first. So Arizona is, oh wait, this is uh, yeah at Hawaii, Northern Arizona, and Texas Tech at home. What do you think? Um,
0: all right, so at Hawaii, I don't know, like a fifty-fifty game.
1: Yeah, wait, is this is this right? Do I have the two thousand?
0: No, Hawaii is at Arizona, I think.
1: Yeah, Hawaii's at oh, Arizona. I, oh, I pulled up. So I must have pulled up the wrong one. I pulled up last year's. Okay, so I got the wrong one. My bad. Okay. Um, so you so, you so you, go yours then.
0: All right. Um, all right. So I've got Hawaii at Arizona, um, and then I've got Portland State at Arizona, and then I have nothing else. What the hell? Oh, God. I only had week one up. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes.
1: We're going to do this
0: for you, but geez, man. All right, so Portland State and Hawaii. So hold that thought. Let me find their next one. And then it's at Texas Tech. Okay. So Portland State and Hawaii at home and then at Texas Tech.
1: So Hawaii and
0: Portland State, they should be favored over both, but then they're not going to be favored at Texas
1: Tech. No, they won't be. So that's probably, probably going to be tough to go undefeated there.
0: Okay. All right. All right. What do you want? Next? This is this is going to be a pain in the butt. You so want if You can spend State? your time searching the other ones too. That would be great.
1: Yeah, Arizona so,
0: State, uh, Northern Arizona at ASU. That's one. Yeah, nor-
1: yeah Northern Arizona ASU uh, at UNLV, and then at home against BYU.
0: Pretty decent chance.
1: Yeah, I would say, I'd say that's
0: my early favorite to go undefeated in non-conference.
1: Yeah. Um. Let's see. I don't have these in order anymore. So I'll go. So Cal, let's do Cal. Yeah, let's
0: do Cal. Uh,
1: Cal's also at UNLV. Wow. UNLV's got like a BYU schedule. Uh-huh. Uh, TCU at home. Hmm. That's going to be tough. And then Cal Poly at home.
0: So decent chance. Um, I, I don't know how good TCU is supposed to be this year, which would be kind of a linchpin. Um, I'll say
1: decent chance, not as good as ASU's. Decent chance. Okay. Uh, let's see. We'll go to Colorado next. Let me find them. Sorry, I got to pull this up. Okay, here's Colorado. Uh, at Colorado State. Uh, home against Fresno State. And then at Texas A&M. So that's probably... Yeah, a, that's a no. That's a, a negative We like to say, uh, no. All right. Let's look at Oregon. Where's the, okay, Oregon.
0: It's kind of weird that we switch. We go from C to O, you know, there's nothing else. It's a pretty
1: big gap. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, A lot of letters left on the table.
1: (laughs) Come on, Pac-12. Do better. Uh, North Dakota state, uh, Ohio state and Hawaii all at home.
0: I don't like their chances.
1: Yeah, I mean, basically, the 100- if they
0: beat Ohio State, they'll be fine, but I, uh, that's just like, that's a, probably a 50 50 at best game, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't love that.
1: Yeah, but for probably,
0: probably right there with Cal, I would say, for chances of going undefeated. But ASU win still,
1: one, ASU ASU still, still has
0: the best chance, yeah.
1: Okay. Oregon State, you're probably not going to like this. Uh, at Oklahoma State, they actually thumped uh, Oregon State last year in Corvallis. Uh, Colorado State at home and Portland State at home.
0: At Oklahoma State's too tough.
1: Yeah, I think that one's just too much of a. Uh, yeah, that, that one's pretty tough. Okay, uh, let's see. Stanford would be next. Where are Stanford? I don't see Stanford's schedule anywhere. Let me look. Uh, why am I okay? I got. It. Uh, William and Mary. I assume that's WNM. The way
0: they uh, have to play both of them.
1: Well, William and Mary. Uh why am I and I'm not seeing
0: They play William and Mary, Notre Dame and BYU
1: at the very end of the season. Wow, okay, so yeah, so they they go William and Mary, but then they play at Arizona and against USC. So they're like in the conference play early. Then Notre Dame the, at Notre Dame in the middle of schedule and then BYU at home.
0: Yeah. I don't like their chances.
1: No, that seems, um, yeah, that seems kind of unlikely. Okay. Uh, next up we should have UCLA. Correct. If I, my yes. alphabet is right.
0: The uh, do come before W as far as I know.
1: Yeah. Uh, New Mexico state, uh, at Hawaii and, at oh, just, San...
0: no, they're not going to go undefeated in non-conference play. Well, you wanna
1: know
0: why you want to know why Ryan?
1: Well, they, they've yet to, so they've far, yet to earn
0: a win in non conference play under Chip Kelly.
1: They have a perfect non conference record.
0: It's true. It is perfect. It's just it is perfect.
1: Perfectly bad. Yeah. Um yeah. All right. USC has uh so easy one to start at Alabama. Okay. Uh then they, New Mexico they,
2: they and them.
1: uh and Notre Dame.
0: <laughs> okay. So they're they're gonna go three 0 <laughs> okay so they're gonna get crushed wow we really don't like a lot of these teams to go undefeated
1: there's when we're when we're actually looking at it um no it doesn't look uh it doesn't look very likely for some of these teams all right utah coming off an 11 win season got byu montana state and at wyoming so that's they're Ooh. right up there where they
0: asked you. at wyoming's a little tricky though i don't love that why are they doing that i don't know why they are they going, have, no, seriously, sincerely, Utah, why are you going at Wyoming?
1: Yeah, because like value
0: like, does that serve?
1: Yeah, it's like Auburn wouldn't be going at, you know, like Cincinnati or something or not, not even that, that high level. That's, I, you know. I,
0: I would, I wouldn't play there in a million years. And Wyoming's kind of deece. Like, I would not do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. OK,
0: well, uh, yeah, I think it's still a hair below ASU, if only because I think Utah is going to take a, you know, a decent step back this year. Um, but, yeah, that's 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 manageable. They could go through.
1: OK, uh, let's go Washington. Uh, they got Michigan at home, Sacramento State at home and Utah State at home. It's again,
0: it's just getting past Michigan. Um
1: Yeah. There's just that game that's like, even if it's like a 60-40 in favor of Washington, it still makes it more unlikely to to go undefeated. I
0: mean, that game probably will finish like 6-3. to three. <laughs> So that'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, i put them in the same boat as Oregon. Like, decent chance, but they have to get past the Michigan. Um, so it's like a 50-50 game and then a couple of 90-10s.
1: All right, and then we'll end with Washington State, uh, Utah at Utah State, um, uh, Houston at home, and Idaho at home. That seems manageable. It's manageable, but I wouldn't put them in the top tier. They would be second. No, I
0: think it's ASU probably has the best chance, Um, and then Utah's up there, and then Cal has a chance. Washington State has a chance. Washington and Oregon is really just going to. It's it depends on that one roll of the dice. If, you know, yeah. if even hits, then they, you know, they sweep. But if not, yeah. they're going to go two and one.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, good stuff. So um, I'm glad we got to do that. Yeah. So, Paul, we had run out of steam last week. So we, we took care of your question this week. So thank you for sending that in. All
0: right. This is from Tarion. Uh, this might be your department because I got no idea.
1: I am not a Star, uh, Star- Trek guy.
0: Uh, we might we might be. We we might fail you here. All right. Star Trek Picard question. Hey, guys, even during this strange time, I really enjoy hearing you, two, and I enjoy the semi-off football discussions you have. Ryan, thanks to my CBS Access subscription that I got as a subscriber to USCfootball.com, I watched Star Trek Picard. Did either of you watch it? And if so, what do you think? I found it somewhat pondering and a bit boring. Well, Tarion, I didn't watch it, um, but from everything i read um like reviewers and stuff it was basically really really slow to start out with and then it picked up a little bit that's kind of the gist of it very well acted uh, by patrick stewart but otherwise um pretty pondering um i was never a star trek guy though like i didn't i remember being like terribly bored by next generation like the couple of times i ever watched it and i never watched anything else like i didn't watch apparently deep space nine is like the best thing ever never watched it um just never was really into it
1: yeah i never got into it either I'm, I'm sorry about that um so i can't really share i didn't even hear the reviews like what david said but if you are if you're a subscriber of 24 7 sports any of the you know, it's not does that be USAfootball.com? Any of the sites in, in the Pac-12 or any across the country, you do get access to that. So uh, there's some cool stuff on there. If you want to check it out, uh, all the CBS uh, platform stuff, and there are some original programs like that. But I, unfortunately, Terry, and I haven't seen it, so sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, this we got a long one. Uh, Keon in the Bay Area, follow up to a listener question last week regarding cutting the cord this probably is going to be informative, David, I'm going to guess. I'm excited. I'm excited. Last week, a listener wrote in complaining about the lack of streaming service options that cover all the various channels for college football. It is true that there's not a single streaming service that gives you all of, one, the network channels, ABC, Fox, uh, CBS, NBC, two, the cable sports channels, ESPN, ESPN2, FS1, and three, conference networks, Pac-12 network, and others. However, if you give up, just one concession, YouTube TV is a fantastic option for any sports fans. You get all the network channels, all the cable sports channels, and a ton of other niche sports uh, channels like NBCSN, ESPNU, FS2, uh, CBSSN, Hello Melton West After Dark, and your local pro sports regional networks. YouTube TV also works flawlessly, and the DVR works better than any cable company's DVR. The picture quality is identical to cable. If you say you could tell the difference between cable and streaming television in 2020, then you had made up your mind to say that before even looking at the screen. Either Ryan or the listener was also complaining about not being able to watch football on a big screen TV without plugging in your laptop, which is very 2007. YouTube TV and others like Hulu let you watch uh, on your phone in bed, your laptop at work, or even on your big ass TV at home. No need for fumbling with HDMI cords and chargers. It just works as it should. Uh, oh yeah, that one concession I mentioned earlier. Well, YouTube TV doesn't have Pac-12 Network. That's right. YouTube YouTube TV has ESPN, U, CBS, SN, and even your home, uh, and even your home for the first eight minutes of Washington football games. What does he mean there?
0: And even your home for the first eight minutes of Washington football games. FS2.
1: Oh, sorry about that. Okay, yes. yes. Uh, so that was one that the truck episode, uh, but they don't have Pac-12 network. That that was a big one. They Pac-12 network should have come out on YouTube TV. I would have had it right now if they did, by the way.
0: Yeah. I mean, we all would.
1: Yeah. Uh, this might seem like a big deal since this is Pac-12 podcast, but unless you're an Oregon state fan, how many Pac-12 games are you really watching on Pac-12 network versus ESPN, FS1, ABC and Fox? If you really want Packed 12 network, sign up for sling for three months of football season, or just do what Dave does. And, Find some illegal stream online. It's not like Pac-12 Network production quality is good enough uh, to the point where you'd notice the difference of it on an illegal stream. For me personally, the positives of not giving your money to the cable company far outweigh the negatives of not having Pac-12 Network. Obligatory, quote, fire Larry Scott, Keon in the Bay Area. And P.S. I didn't mean for this email to come off as a shill for Google, but I guess it kind of did. Sorry From what I hear. Hulu live TV is pretty good as well. Just stop giving your money to terrible cable companies if you can help it. Um, yes,
0: give your money to a uh, terrible, unanswerable uh, conglomerate instead. Yeah. Yes, but Keon, I agree with you. You're 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 totally right because if you're gonna give money to anybody, give less of it, and that's what you'll be doing if you give it to YouTube
1: TV. Yes. All right, your turn, Dave. I know. All What's right, wrong?
0: this is uh, <laughs> this is Ryan. Uh, conspiracy theories. Gentlemen, uh, within my fire department, I work with a bit of a conspiracy theorist. Unfortunately, every once in a great while, he says something with some validity, and he walks with his head held high and is brimming with confidence. I say that to ask a few questions: Is there a way in which post COVID nineteen economy the Pac twelve network proves to be rightly operated solely by the conference? No.
1: Okay, so, so I, uh, what is he saying here? I'm not. Maybe I'm not following what he wants.
0: In in the post COVID nineteen economy, where we're all living in essentially Mad Max world, where we're all yes. fighting over the few remaining resources in the huge <laughs> desert that is the United States, will it have been a good decision for the Pac twelve to have been rightfully operated solely by the conference? No, I think.
1: Yeah, I don't. Now? Yeah, I don't think so. I, this isn't like you were hoarding uh, gasoline and and you have it in your big like you know like Mad Max. This is not that. I think. If anything you're better off having signed those big network tv deals when the other conferences did and at now i yeah i just don't think it's going to prove this is i don't think this is going to help the pact of networks call well, I,
0: I think i mean if you're looking at the landscape of a mad max hell apocalypse world you don't want to be a small entity um off you know in, in the hinterlands you want to be signed on with a with a with you know some muscle like you want to be the liege lord for a really powerful billionaire so you want to be disney's like you know you want to have a fief a fief, a fiefdom from from disney you know what i'm saying so yeah you'd want to be tied in with espn right now because in the uh in the hell world to come um you know they're gonna be your local feudal lord by yeah.
1: you don't want one of those little uh off to the side, you know, small outcroppings that are, what kind of
0: army is Larry Scott going to lead? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Now maybe he could be somebody's Duke. Sure. Okay, fine. Probably not even that, but okay, fine. Um, but no, you can't have him be the, uh, the head honcho in that sort of structure. No. Um, if so, will this bolster champagne's Larry's, (laughs) Larry's claim to the PAC 12 throne? No, as we just discussed, he does not have what it takes to be a King. Uh, a duke, a minor provincial noble, sure, maybe. But a king, no. Under no the st-
1: truth st- is we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? <laughs> but- yeah, I think it's the opposite. I think this is going to – because this was sort of like the Pac-12 was in this huge hole. And you were just hoping the economy kept booming and the the end of the contracts coming out and like Amazon or – uh, you know, YouTube or whoever is going to pay a whole bunch of money for Pac-12 network and, and the Pac-12 rights and all that stuff. And I think this just knocked everyone down a peg. And just now you're, you're, you're trying to climb out of the hole and it's just not, there's the, the, be, the benefits of where everyone else was. It's all coming back down to you. I think it's like the real estate market's going to drop like 30%. Like you were waiting to sell your house. You're waiting to sell your house. Wait a uh, man, I know I know, I signed this long-term lease, but as soon as I sell it, the, the housing market is going to be going gangbusters. Well, the housing market is going to come down like 30%. So, no, now your house that you waited all that time to sell is worth less. So, I, to me, this is like – it could be the nail in Larry Scott's coffin because he needed to make up a lot of ground. And I just feel like you're not going to be able to make up that kind of ground. Any of the – you know, like if the SEC was really far behind the Big 12 and they got a – or the Big 10 – and they got another contract coming up. I don't think their contract is going to, it's going to be big, but I don't think it's going to be as big um, as it, it was going to be. I think this the whole market's come back. So Larry needed to, to hit a grand slam to get dig out of this hole. And I just don't think that's going to be on the table now.
0: Yeah. And then, well, the lack of time with the players in the offseason, uh, pressure Chip Kelly to simplify his offense and just go back to what worked in the better times of the 2010s. Ooh, what a theory. What a delicious theory. Mm. Uh no, what it's going to do is take away even the positive aspects of his um, you know, kind of plotting average offense and make it absolutely dreadful.
1: Yeah. Uh or he could have more time in the offseason to come up with a whole new playbook and he, he Ooh,
0: now you're talking really get them all by surprise, including yes. his own players. That'd be fun.
1: I, I think that would work. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for that one. Uh, we love the cons- conspiracy theories. Uh, this is Mark in Vancouver, uh, Washington. Cooged it. So he says, hello again, guys. I'd like to clear up the meaning of the phrase cooged it once and for all. In general, Washington State fans loathe the phrase, but it's even worse when people use it incorrectly. All right. We're going to learn more. We, this is the more, you know, uh, Cooged it. is uh, is blowing a substantial lead and losing a game that everyone thought was impossible to lose. Some examples. The UCLA game last season where Washington State blew a 32-point second-half lead and lost. The 2012 Colorado game where Washington State had a 17-point lead in the fourth quarter and lost, which was the Buffs' only win that year. Coog did as not, and he gives four examples, uh, losing a game by a blowout when Washington State didn't have a lead or only had a small one for a short time. Inexplicably losing a game when highly ranked. Uh, when highly ranked, this is Clemsoning. So okay. So if you lose a game, you shouldn't, and you're highly ranked. And losing a back and forth game where neither team led by more than 14 points. Example last year's Oregon game, or getting beat down by Jimmy Lake's defense in the Apple Cup every year. Now that that's cleared up, I'll get off my soapbox and ask a question. Which of these three options do you think is most likely? A, t- a canceled 2020 football season, playing a modified season in empty stadiums, a normal season but delayed a few months. Thanks for keeping the show going. Go Cougs, uh, Mark in Vancouver, Washington. What do you think? Uh, first of you all, the Cougs coo- know- stuff. Like, do we? I, I don't think I've used that term. Have you? No, have, I
0: don't use it because I I didn't know this thing, so I think that's right. Um, yeah.
1: Maybe some now, of our listeners have or something, but I don't, I don't feel I did either. So sorry, Mark. Yeah. It's know.
0: never been a thing for me to use that. Um, okay. So I'm going to do a thing. I'm going to do a service for everyone out there. You ready? Yeah. So we understand listeners. I'll bring you in on this, Ryan, you obviously know um, from time immemorial, I am always wrong. I've never <laughs> been right ever about anything in my entire life. So right now. I'm going to say the 2020 football season
1: gets canceled. Wow. Yes. So you're just, you're kind of reverse jinxing us.
0: I no, I'm not saying that. I fully believe it. I fully believe that the 2020 football season will not be played
1: with. uh, Those are three interesting choices because I don't think empty stadiums works as well in college because it, Dave answer me this. So if, If students are allowed to go to college, not remote, but they're in school, you're back on the university campus. Would you think the NBA, for example, would be playing games with empty stadiums or full stadiums at that point? So are you saying by the fall or just I'm just saying just like you'd say in the fall. Colleges are like, hey, everyone come back to campus. So that's whatever the world is, whatever go, going on with uh, the coronavirus, for some reason, it's, a, it's OK for. I mean, co- if you're
0: back on campus, you're in for a penny in for a pound because you're in like dormitories and crap.
1: Right. So then I would say the empty stadium seems very unlikely because you're not going to play unless colleges are back in session but then if they're in session, why you wouldn't have to play in front of an empty stadium? I guess. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think the way they've set it up now, I think the empty stadium thing loses um, a little bit of likelihood. The pros, maybe, because the pros might start earlier before colleges decide that that's something they want. Yeah. to Yeah. Um, but yeah, for college, I think it's going to be it's going to be hand in hand. If and when they're ready to start playing, it's going to be when they feel it's safe enough for people to congregate, which means it's safe enough to have games. Now, the only thing that would change that is if there's different liability for some of the stadiums, if they're not school owned, Um, like they might have stipulations about whether they're willing to have people in the stands versus what the school is willing to do on its own campus. But I have a hard time seeing the stadium being more stringent than the schools.
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm going to eliminate the second one. I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't see a scenario where UCLA is in school and students are on campus and the Lakers are playing at Staples Center without fans. I think if you can go to school, they'll probably allow fans in the stadiums. Now, I think the Lakers can start playing before you let UCLA lets you know, students back on campus and they'll play in front of an empty Staples Center. But by the time UCLA says, hey, classes in session, come to, to Westwood, I think the NBA would be playing in front of full stadium. So I'm going to eliminate two. I just don't think that's very likely. I also, I just have not been able to wrap my mind around a delayed season because of the schedule complexity. I just think that would be very difficult to do. So of these three scenarios, I'm going to go with you, David, and say the most likely is a canceled football season. Um, I still think the most likely is starting on time. I think that's probably the most likely, but that wasn't one of the choices. So of those three, I'm going to go with what David said, cancel football season and not to reverse jinx. Wow. I don't know. I'm just like, how would you delay the season? Like you can't just say, all right, USC and Alabama, we're going to play September 5th or whatever it is in Arlington do you you have you'd have to move every game two months or or something no my
0: mine would be a modified season delayed a few months so if they would delay it it would be just playing conference games
1: yeah which i mean makes sense i i think that if you delayed the season that's how you would have to go that's that's i think that's gonna be tough to pull off as well but
0: well and uh, and from like a We don't know how seasonal the virus is going to be, whether it's going to be a thing that's going to spike again when the temperatures get colder and all that kind of stuff. Like, we just don't know yet or if it's going to burn itself out and, you know, run through us all um, over the next six months. So it might be spiking again in November. Um, if we do the social distancing well until August and then there's a couple of clusters that pop up that we can't get a handle on very quickly, then it might be spiking again. Um, we just don't know. So, yeah, it, it's a tough thing to plan on anything, really. Um, I think we just kind of that, that's honestly I, that's why I think a canceled season is most likely because it's just going to be so hard to unless they can start absolutely on time. Um, it's just going to be so hard to plan ahead with anything i mean yeah. it's why the nba suspended things indefinitely when they suspended things because you you have no idea you don't know yeah. when it's going to pop back up
1: yeah i mean it's been a pretty good day for me but it's got even better knowing it's your turn and hit starting off with like greek mythology so have at it Ooh, but. this looks like egyptian uh oh, maybe it and is. Ate? is that what we're going with here Should we have Okay, well, let's should we look it up?
0: Oh no, it, it is Greek. Um, okay, so Ate, I, I'm not pronouncing that correctly, and I don't care. Uh, <laughs> she's the Greek goddess of mischief, uh, delusion, ruin, and folly.
1: Sounds like Ilis,
0: uh, On the other hand, is
1: uh, come on. Is that what Egyptian or is that Greek too?
0: All right, so well, it's Troy, but I'm trying to figure out if he's a god of anything. He, he, he has to do with troy okay so okay. we're gonna be talking usc here um okay that was fun all right <laughs> uh since adam munster tiger writes about the washington generals of the pac-12 south wow that was kind of mean
1: was that, that mean, mean.
0: if today was that was that meant in good fun or was that kind of mean that was a little bit mean it's mean Uh, It was nice that he was more chipper last week than the last time you had him on. Still, it was surprising to hear anyone sound excited about the return of D.C. Tyson Summers since he was last seen running Georgia Southern into the ground. (laughs) Uh, Adam gave the D.C. credit for the Buffs defense giving up 30-plus points in only 10 10 out of their 12 games, which he attributed to players finally buying into Summers' scheme at the end of the season. Did you boys buy that? I think it had more to do with getting healthier and playing Stanford and Washington's klutzy offenses. What did you see in Colorado's games against USC and UCLA? Hitler, uh, are you asking me to recall something? <laughs>
1: he's he's so like, oh my god, he, he just doesn't get it. Like, I'm not going to recall what Colorado UCLA did. Six I, did
0: they play? Ago. Did they play last year? I don't know. <laughs>
1: Assuming, uh, assuming we watch won,
0: every <laughs> they blew out ucla uh and the bruins um yeah they looked awful okay i, I don't know the defense looked great i don't know
1: and <laughs>
0: I, I, I do not remember this game in the least little bit he does care early he, in the year too it he was cares a lot
1: yeah, he, he does care.
0: Um, I have no idea. Ryan, do you have any recollection of the USC-Colorado game?
1: Uh, USC won. It wasn't, like, the prettiest game. That's about it.
0: Yeah. Uh, we don't know, Hitler. Day. We're, we're, we're deeply sorry, but also not. Um, all right. I was hoping to hear more about what transition, if any, is happening at USC with new DC Todd Orlando scheme. One. If it's going to be a 4-2, it's going to be a 4-2 going oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Hitler Your Day. words. It's going <laughs> from a four-two-five to a three-four,
1: right? So to be fair, Hitler uses a lot of big words. Um
0: Yeah, this is a tough one. It's going from was really tripping me up there. <laughs>
1: Uh, so he said it was going to be multiple Hitler Day. I think.
0: Oh, I love it, that word. I love I know. that word. It means it's, absolutely nothing. It's like nothing.
1: a catch all kind of thing. Um, I, I feel like it will be a little bit more 3 uh, 4 looking. I think he's going to focus more on the linebackers than what they had done before. They sort of were hiding the linebackers where it was. I think a lot of 425 ish I don't think you're going to see the 4 two, 5 look as much. There'll probably be nickel looks and things, but I, I think you're going to see more emphasis on the linebackers. But it, it's probably going to look different, not necessarily, hey, this is just a 3-4. But you, you'll see more emphasis on the linebackers.
0: Okay. If that makes uh, sense. Two. Yeah, sure. Uh, two. Last offseason, the discussion was about consolidating and simplifying the linebacker roles and pushing a lot of guys back inside. Will they now be moving outside again? Does USC have the right linebacker personnel for it?
1: Yeah, I think it's almost like it's, instead of pushing them back inside, they kind of pushed them out of the way. Like you had, uh, you know, Paliye Nooteote, who just was like, oh man, that guy's going to be a beast, taking over at middle linebacker. They moved them out their will, and it just didn't seem to work. Yeah, John Houston, who you know was steady, but not really the super dynamic player. They liked him in the middle because he could call plays. And even though they had two linebacker coaches, it just didn't seem like they were a big emphasis on the defense. I mean, I think the defensive line would, would play well at times. And I think the secondary, they're young, but there are always at least five guys out there. There just seemed that to be more of the focus on the defense. But I like their personnel. I think Palier and Nolte will move back to be a middle linebacker, and he can be a real stud they got guys like Solomon Tuialapupu who'd been hurt in his career but he's he's a big guy that can run and um, I, yeah I think you know it depends what you do with a guy like Drake Jackson who's an absolute stud he's not really going to be a linebacker but he'll be kind of like a, a rush end and they they have some options there hitler day I just I just feel like for whatever reason it was almost like you were hiding the linebackers and they just weren't using them correctly from what I saw last year
0: okay and then three, what's the two-deep at nose tackle? I'd guess Brandon Pilly is the starter since he's the biggest guy on the roster, but he's also the only one on the team who got ran over more than Brett Nealon did. Wow. Heath Day's he, having a bit of a mood here. He is a little moody. Yeah. Um, I was surprised in film study how often the Trojans' interior line failed to hold the point of attack with four defensive linemen. USC was ninth in the conference in rushing yards surrendered per attempt last year. 50th in the power five and 84th nationally. I've always thought rush defense was more about personnel than scheme. And I'm not sure USC has the dudes for an odd front. How do you think it looks?
1: No, yeah, I think they're, they're pretty good this year. Uh, a lot of that rushing yardage was outside. They did. They really failed to contain. And part of that was like the failure of the, what the linebackers were doing, but there's Brandon Peely. Who's the, the you know, big kid from uh, uh, Alaska, Marlon Tui-Pilotu, um, who's a former Washington commit. I like him a lot, and Jay Toffoli is probably the best defensive lineman they have. And I think all three of those guys can kind of rotate and play uh, inside. And I got some other younger guys that haven't played as much, but I, between those three, I don't know if there's going to be a true like nose, but they'll you know they'll be like defensive tackle nose tackle guys. You, two or you know a couple of those guys with their hands on the ground in the middle. I they really like them. I like them too. I think they're going to be good, but I wouldn't say that those guys were the reasons that USC gave up a lot of rush yards. It wasn't much. Up the middle, it was more uh, failure contained. They got these wide runs that just were really effective, especially from the quarterback spot.
0: All right, good stuff.
1: Cool. Uh, And then I think we have one more. Yep, from Oliver. Oliver. Man, I get a lot of long ones. Uh, This is from Oliver. Questions. Hey, guys. A quick thank you from me and all of your listeners with small children at home. For keeping the podcast going, doing these herocious times, we can use all of the escapist content we can get during the week. And I'm in my happy place listening to you guys half-ass a response to an innate question or hear Dave feign interest in what happened at Arizona's third spring practice. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, three three questions for you. So number one, since we are so bereft of content and Dave bereft. admitted it. I'm sorry, what did I say? Bereft of content. You you said bereft, which, fine. At this point, fine. There's a little F there I didn't see. I'm just, I was kind of laughing as I was talking. So we are, since we are, you you messed up like going and don't. Um, Whatever,
0: man. We're rolling with it at this point.
1: So he's saying we're bereft of content. And Dave admitted, that's what I said, did I
0: not? I know, and I'm just saying it again. I'm emphasizing your words now. I'm
1: not Uh, joking. David, <laughs> that he finished all of his work in an hour each day. Why not try to break your own personal record for longest podcast? Full oh, disclosure, yeah. yeah, I'm not going to look your longest podcast up, but I'm pretty sure you haven't broken the three hour mark yet. If you're a game, I uh, promise to come up with some Disney princess level questions for you to answer. I'm sure other listeners would happily contribute. Just tell us uh, the week, and we will come with questions. If you don't get questions, just reread that Washington State scheduling email from Shane fifteen times. That was good. Uh, wh- okay, what do you think about that? Should we do one one day?
0: I mean, I, I can do three hours,
1: dude. I'm we're we're two hour just now. I think, and we're losing a lot of steam. But I'm uh,
0: exhausted.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty tired I mean, too. I
0: think, like, I want to say we need to be drunk, but I don't think that would help.
1: There was a Ooh. time
0: in my life where that would have helped, but that time is not now.
1: <laughs> I think it would help, though. That well, time
0: is not now, nor will that time ever be again,
1: uh, yeah. where
0: it would have helped.
1: Mm. All right. Well, let's uh, yeah. So maybe some send in some good questions, and if we have like a great week of those,
0: yeah, and we'll uh, take some amphetamines and go after it.
1: Yeah, five hour energy. For yeah. we we only need like two thirds of a bottle of that, and we'd be fine.
0: Yeah.
3: We'll uh, be good.
1: How would the Pac-12 all-conference team, first and te- second team combined, have fared against LSU this year? Uh, he gives a link to that. Um, God, the Pac-12 lays this out horribly. You have to scroll way
0: down the page to see the actual list. It's just paragraphs and paragraphs of text. Um, that's what the okay, people so want, first, David. Uh, whatever. Um, well, quarterback 15 quarterback talent there. was definitely not great. Compared to
1: going against well, that LSU defense, well, Joe Burrow threw sixty touchdowns and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the Pac twelve would would beat LSU. You
0: know, the Pac twelve all conference team would beat LSU.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you're assuming that they could practice together, I mean, it's a freaking yeah. Did you watch?
0: Did you watch I LSU watch,
1: play football this year? I, I did watch LSU. Who
0: on this? Okay, so the first team, Pac-12 defense, like, okay, the defensive line, that's pretty good, but yeah. like, I don't know, man, like, I don't want to dog anybody in particular, but like, look at linebacker. Are those dudes even Evan making Weaver. the field for LSU? Yeah, Evan dude. Weaver okay, okay. I, look, I'm not, I'm not gonna sit here and dog Evan Weaver, to everyone out there. I'm, I'm not gonna do it,
1: but dude wouldn't have been playing. He wouldn't have been starting at LSU. LSU doesn't have, like, Troy Dye coming off the bench at linebacker. I mean...
0: It doesn't matter. They've got athletes. It's... uh, Ed Lever's not playing there. Okay, so you got Paul Sinadiba, who had, like, a not great year.
1: Um, That's true. He did not. I
0: I don't know, man. I think LSU would tear up this defense. And then you're you're asking me if... uh, Offense with Tyler Huntley, you know, Benjamin, Zach Moss, Brandon Iok, Michael Pittman, and Hunter Bryant's going to, you know, pour a bunch on LSU. I don't know, man. I it's 50-50 at
1: best for me. When you talk about an all-star team, I mean, it's It's, it's tough not like
0: an put. NFL team versus LSU. It's, it's like the best people in a league that wasn't that great last year. And more to the point, it's not the best people. It's the best people as voted on by, like, whoever votes in this thing. Like, the yeah. school SIDs. Is that right?
1: Yeah, most likely, yeah. Man, hmm. I don't know. You're just, like, you're just a full Pac-12 honk. I, I just say, like, when they're like, oh, uh, Alabama would beat the Cleveland Browns, I would say, no, they won't. But if you're going to so say— Well, this isn't the Cleveland Browns. This is a, Like,
0: a lot of these guys are not going to make the NFL.
1: A lot of them. Well, I mean, there's got to be more NFL guys on the Pac-12 roster for the All-Star than, than LSU's roster last year, I would think. Uh, maybe. I mean, LSU is really freaking talented. Well,
0: they also had, like, for the first time in a while, they had Scheme, too.
1: Yeah. Um, who's coaching this team? That's a good question. Yeah. That yeah. would depend on that. Oh, it's good. I mean, it's a good one. I would would lean towards the Pac-12. Let us know what you guys think. Tell us if uh, we're full of crap or what what you think. Um, And last one, was it just me or did uh, your chat with the Oregon publisher uh, decrease your confidence in their ability to repeat this year? It sounded like he believed uh, Shuck was going to be better than Herbert. Losing five of their top six offensive linemen wasn't an issue because stars, blah, blah. Troy Dye was overrated. And then he made the claim that they refused, I'm sorry, they returned eight starters in their secondary. I actually counted that one. It's obvious that their D is really good, but I'm suspicious of their offense and his segment reminded me of the Washington publish, publisher last year trying to claim that they wouldn't take a step back after their major losses on defense. Fire Larry Scott from Oliver.
0: Um I don't know if it decreased my confidence. I came in with the I came in with questions and I walked out with basically the same questions. Um, I am not very confident in whoever ends up at quarterback, whether it's the Boston College guy or um, Shuck. Um, and then the offensive line issue, I think, is the biggest question mark surrounding the entire team. Um, and I know there's talent on the roster, but that's that's a lot of continuity lost. Um, so I don't have concerns really about their defense. Um, I don't think Troy Dive is overrated, but I do think they have... A lot of talent. They weren't losing a whole lot. So I think there's more or less seamless transition on that side of the ball. But that offense, yeah, I've got a ton of questions.
1: Yeah. I did too. I think I've I think I still feel better about Oregon than any other team in the north. Um, and I, I think he did, you know, alleviate some of the concerns with the offensive line, you know, the, the defense. It's yeah, I love Troy Dye, but I mean, I you know, there's gonna be a lot of guys back on the defensive side. So I, I I feel pretty good about Oregon, but I don't, every team you look at, there's just a lot of, there's a bunch of losses in the Pac-12. I guess you USC brings a lot of guys back, but you know, Utah lost a lot. And, you know, we talk about Washington on the offensive side of the ball, getting a different scheme and having to replace a lot of dudes. Um, you know, at least one side of the ball from some of the major players have taken a hit. Uh, I mean, you could argue ASU, you know, they're going to bring back a bunch. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm curious to see, but I don't think any, I, I, I didn't, dec- it didn't decrease my confidence, I would say, from talking to Matt Prem. All right, we good stuff. Awesome. Well, uh, that was a long-ass show. And uh, we even started early. To, yeah, uh, I, I,
0: this one's probably going to crank in once you finish the editing, or once I finish the editing, uh, <laughs> at like, what, two hours and 20 minutes, probably.
1: I'm guessing like it's somewhere in that range, yeah. Because we did the, the early segment. Was probably half hour or something like that. This was, you know, close to an hour. And Fetters, you know, was half hour and like 20 minutes uh, with Brady. So, yeah, this is going to be a long one. Yeah. Wow. But and we then, wrapped up.
0: Uh, then we start the uh, long, uh, the long, who knows how long offseason. That'll
1: be fun. Yeah. Since I planned the last, you know, half dozen shows and all the content and stuff there, we'll let David take over for a month or so. And then so you you steer the ship. You steer the ship now.
0: I think it's going to work out well for everyone.
1: (laughs) You steer the ship. You know, I don't don't need to come up with more Google Docs. We'll let David run it for a while and see what happens.
0: I think it'll be a good
1: time. (laughs) All right. Well, that's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the podcast of champions. Stay safe, everyone. Wash your hands, stay at home, and we will talk to you next time.
3: Bye.